get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In the end, they scrapped and clawed, but the Blues lose to the Winnipeg Jets 4-2 with sloppy plays at the blue line tonight in Winnipeg. All right, so the Blues aren't very good. We knew this to be true, but I jumped on the bandwagon anyways, and since then they've been a shell of themselves. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Good to have T-Bone back in the saddle with us today. Blues have now lost five of their last seven games. Somebody predicted that and then jumped on the bandwagon. It's not what you want to say the least. They lose last night 4-2 on the road in Winnipeg. They have the same troubles that they've had for the vast majority of this seven-game stretch in which they get down early. They don't have enough to be able to come back despite, as you heard there from Chris Kerber on the call last night, on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN, scratching and clawing, trying to uh, find their way back into it. They have been outscored 10 to 2 in the first period of their last five losses. For a team that is as deficient as the Blues are at five on five, that is an unsustainable winning way to win hockey games. You're just not going to be able to claw back when you have that many games in which you are getting down that early in the game. The Blues margin for error is razor thin. This is a team that doesn't win at five on five very well, relies extremely heavily on getting elite level goaltending, needs excellent power play and penalty kill to be able to continue to win the games the way that they have been previously. And when you are built that way, it is a house of cards at times, and it looks the way that it did last night. It looks the way that it did against Toronto. It looks the way that it did against Detroit. The problem for the Blues right now is... They have not been a team under Drew Bannister that goes through this kind of a losing stretch. They have been able to go up and down and up and down, but more often than not, they stop the bleeding. Alex, I am officially concerned that that is not going to be the case any longer. You got a tough one tonight in Edmonton, a back-to-back. This has not been kind to the Blues at times this season. Scheduled losses are a thing. In the NBA, I think they're a thing to a degree for this team in the NHL as well. I'm officially worried about the Blues. Yeah, and I think people should be worried about the Blues. And, I mean, this has been a trend since the exit of the All-Star break in terms of the Blues show up for one period, and that one period can either catapult them to a victory or put them within striking distance, but that's one period. And we're talking about typically the second or the third period when they choose to show up, 
But by that time, you're talking about a game that's out of reach. Now, with the Edmonton Oilers game where you were outplayed in the first period, you showed up in the second period and dominated. The New York Islanders game, you were outplayed, you showed up in the second period and dominated. And then, of course, certain games you've just got blown out of the water, i.e. Nashville or the Detroit Red Wings. So it's a trend that has continued, and it's a different trend since Bannister took over because in January, although they would be getting outplayed in certain periods, they would show up or at least keep it within striking distance, and that has not been the case in the month of February. They've been good in one-goal games, and one trend that I, I noticed last night on postgame that I was talking about was in this seven-game stretch going from the Toronto Maple Leafs loss all the way up until last night against the Winnipeg Jets, they have entered the first period in four of those seven games, or entered the third period in four of those seven games within a goal, either down by a goal, up by a goal, or tied, and they have lost every one of those games. Prior to that, when they had won seven of eight back in January, they would enter the third period down, tied, or up a goal, five of the seven, and they won four of those five. So it it was a team that I said had the aggressiveness to stay within striking distance and kind of pounced when they had their opportunity. And now it just seems like a team that says, Matt, we're out of this one. We're not coming back, which if you go back into December, that was the same team. That was the team that when the other team scored first, it didn't matter if it was a one goal deficit, three goal deficit, four goal deficit. When the other team scored, the Blues just said, no, nah, we're not coming back into this one. And I think you saw that last night against Winnipeg. You saw that against Detroit and you saw that against the Nashville Predators. I felt that way against Detroit. I don't know that I felt that way the same last night. I thought it was coming, but then the Blues did battle back a bit. I don't think last night was a matter of them not caring, not playing, not living, not showing up. I think last night was a matter of them just getting outplayed. They got beat. By a team that was clearly, definitively, no doubt about it, better than you. See, I don't even think they got beat by the Winnipeg Jets. They beat themselves. But that's part of who they are. But that's the problem. Part part of it is the opposition makes your life difficult. Like last night, I thought they were buzzing at times early on. And Winnipeg forced mistakes. They took away time. They took away space. The Blues ended up getting sped up in some of their decision-making, which has been a problem at times for them this year. They have a pass that ends up get being a little off and Winnipeg's going the other direction. Like, I think that I have to give credit to City when City had last year the high press. It forced opposition into some bad decisions and boom, suddenly the ball's in the back of their, their net. I, I think the same was true last night for the Blues. Like, I, I think some of this is Winnipeg was just better. They just beat you. I, I think on one of those goals that was the case, that Sean Monaghan goal, I mean, they just they won the puck battles in front of the net. They forced the Blues to not be able to to hold on to the puck. But this the third goal that Kyle Connor scored and that fourth goal that really put it out of reach, the eye of follow goal. I mean, you look at that third goal for Kyle Connor. Kapanen had the puck on his stick, and instead of dumping it in, which that Florida Panthers game when Yakub Verana did the same thing, he decided not to dump it in. He tried to make a move and forced the play, and it got picked off. Kapanen, rather than dumping it, forced the play to Brandon Saad, and I don't think Winnipeg was forcing it. That was just Kapanen trying to make the play to get some offense, and it went the other way, and you got the odd man rush. And then the Ayafalo goal, Pavel Buchnevich had the puck on the board and he decided to backhand it up to Jordan Cairo and Cairo didn't skate for it and it got picked off. But these don't always become goals. And that's, I think, what's changed is like they were making those stupid mistakes while they were winning. But the goaltending stood on its head and you'd have a breakaway going in the other direction and Benner would make a great save and we'd all move on and we would talk about how great Benner is because he has been and the team would continue to have an opportunity to win that way. 
I don't think these mistakes are new. I think what we saw last night is who this team has been, whether they're winning or they're losing. I don't think it's a change in mindset. I don't think it's all that much of a change in performance. Alex, the Blues have played 21 games since January 4th. 21. Do you know how many times at five on five the Blues have outshot the opposition oh. in those 21 games? This has got to be three. Low. I was going to say one. One. Uh, it yeah. is one time in their last 21 games that the Blues have outshot the opposition at five on five. Montreal. Uh, it was actually a game they won. It was against Washington, believe it or not. Oh. The 3-0 win against they, Washington. They didn't even do that against Montreal. And they won 7-2. Uh, I believe that's the case, yeah. Oh, so Man, we stink. This is just a team that is built on a house of cards. And I fell for it. I did. I told you guys, I guess it was about a week and a half ago now. Man, why not? Why not the Blues? I know what all of the nerdy numbers are telling you, and I tend to believe in the numbers, but I'm throwing caution to the wind. I'm buying in because why the hell not? And the problem is I bought in right before the rug was about to be pulled out from underneath us, guys. The way they were winning was always unsustainable, but it was fun. It was interesting. It was good to watch. Jordan Bennington was out here doing the thing that we saw him do in 2019. We know he's capable of it. The power play was out here converting at a rate that absolutely was not going to sustain over the course of the season. They were at like 30% for a long stretch since Drew Bannister took over. You're not going to convert at that rate when you have these players on the power play over the course of the remainder of the season. So, yeah, I think this is who the Blues are. I, I don't think they've quit on their coach. I don't think it's a matter of them not having a killer mindset that they previously did have. I think this is just the 2024 St. Louis Blues. They're going to go through another hot stretch. I think it's going to be too late because you have two weeks now prior to the NHL trade deadline. And in that two week stretch, you're going up against the likes of Edmonton, Minnesota, Philly, New York, New Jersey, New York again, won the Islanders, won the Rangers and then Boston. I don't think those are the seven teams you want to be playing when you're trying to find your own game. But after that, you'll probably see them go through a seven game stretch again where they win five out of seven. And it looks good because Benner standing on his head and the power plays converting. But otherwise, this is who they are, man. This is who your 2024 Blues are. Yeah. And it's I would imagine for fans frustrating, infuriating because you know, we said the same thing back in January when you looked at the stretch where they were playing against the Panthers and the Hurricanes and the Canucks and the Rangers and the Flames and the Kraken. And we were like, man, you're not going to win a hockey game. And they found ways to string points together to put yourself into a playoff spot. And, and that is the part of a retool. And I think it's always important to remind people that that's where this team is. If this was a Stanley Cup contending team, there'd be a lot more frustration going on over the air. Absolutely. But the inconsistency and after what we heard with Doug Armstrong when Craig Burr Ruby was fired. That was supposed to be the point of the point of interest and emphasis for this team when they hired Drew Bannister was getting back to some consistency. And even if the numbers didn't look good, they at least were finding ways to stay competitive. And there was. But did you believe it? Did you did you think that like for the stretch that was Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, and L.A.? Yeah, I did a little. But they bit. won those games four to three, four to three in overtime. Like. I just I think it takes a certain type of skill when you don't have the players that can out 
just shut down the other team and just run away with it. I think it takes a certain skill to win games and one goals. And the Blues were doing that in a very long stretch with Drew Bannister. But we've we know that that's not something that sustains over time. It's man. fine You're if not it's just going to continue going twelve two and two. But BK, it's fine if it's it. not sustainable. But I think that's part of the learning process when you're a retooling team is figuring out how to win games when you're not the better team. Sure. And they, and they but you're figured not it do out. That 85% of the time. Oh, you're not going but to. They did in that stretch. That's, and that was what allowed them to have. So felt, how did you forget to do it then? That's my problem. You, you did. You were, pl- you were going 100 miles an hour to, down the highway and you didn't get caught for seven straight days. And then you did it on the eighth day. It doesn't mean that you were doing something different. Mm. You I, just, I just disagree. I think they were they performed as a team but that they did it, man. They did. You watched the games. You I did watch the, the games, like BK. They, BK, I watched the games. In January, there was there was a stretch that I felt like the team was figuring out how to win tight hockey games, and the numbers back it up. And now in February, they don't back it up though. The numbers okay. don't back it up at all. They were playing the same way then that they are now. This is I, I'm I'm genuinely asking Alex, what's changed? What's changed? And, and the fact that in five of seven games when they won they seven were of eight, and now they're losing. Yeah, you just asked me what's changed. That's what's changed. <laughs> but that's the result. What about the process? What are you watching on the ice that has changed? That was going well. They weren't previously. making the decisions they were making last night. They were dumping they the puck it in. Over? Not the way that they turned it over last Come night. Come on, man! You don't believe that? They didn't yeah. have. They didn't have breakaways going to Bennington that he was able to they make did, miraculous and he was saves them. for. I'm and not now denying not making those same saves. I'm not denying that the goaltender's not making the saves. You ask me what's changed, and I'm telling you, what has changed is the team was finding ways to win hockey games in the third period, and now they are finding ways to lose hockey games in the third period. But where I'm disagreeing is that that is looking at the results. Like, I can look at those and say the same thing, but when we're watching the team on the ice, the product itself doesn't look all that dissimilar, man. What's different is the the power play isn't converting at the same rate, and the goalies aren't making the same number of saves. Otherwise, the shots on net... The quality of the chances, the turnovers, all of this stuff, man, it ain't that different than what it was whenever they were winning. The difference is the results of the games. They're they're just not coming out and winning four to three. They're not coming out and having those same great saves or having that power play that's timely the way that they once did. So to me, that's what's changed in the process. I'm I'm not going to overall just judge them exclusively on the results. I can't speak for you. I, I I just I want to see what the difference is in the process. And I, I don't think the process is all that dissimilar right now. I think it was against Detroit. Detroit's the game where they just flat out did not show up. It was embarrassing as a performance overall. They did not show up to the game that day. Otherwise, though, I, th- I think it's been pretty much the same thing. All right. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. ESPN.com had a really good piece earlier today on what realignment would look like in Major League Baseball if they decided to expand. I want to ask you guys who you want to make sure that the Cardinals continue to be in the same division with if and when that happens. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. You can always watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. Coming up next, Pavel Buchnevich is becoming really the star of the show when it comes to the trade deadline right now. Who's potentially interested in him? We'll tell you next here on 101 ESPN. Choo-choo! All aboard the Blues hype train, baby. It is officially here. I'm in. Blues lose to the Winnipeg Jets 4-2. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Jokic is a guy that might be at the move at the trade deadline. Who knows? But it is somebody that is going to generate a ton of interest as we get closer and closer to this year's NHL trade deadline. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Earlier today, Greg Wyshynski released his list of the top players that could be dealt at this year's deadline. Pavel Buchnevich came in at number four on that list, behind only Jake Ginsel, the uh, forward for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He is currently hurt. He's on an expiring deal, but he is an outstanding hockey player. Noah Hannafin was at number two. Jacob Markstrom was at number three. And then you get to Buchnevich at number four on this list. He says that the decision on whether or not to trade Buchnevich might be dictated on whether or not he wants to stay beyond this season, or excuse me, next season. Or it could be di- dictated by someone offering the moon for him as the Blues reportedly are using the return that Calgary got for Elias Lindholm as their baseline. Alex says, we are now just a couple of weeks away from this year's NHL trade deadline. Where do you currently stand on the likelihood of Booch getting dealt? Uh, it, I would probably put it at like 60 to 70% because of where the team is at. And there will be teams calling. Now, does Doug Armstrong have the price set in his mind and he's not going to lower it depending on what people are calling about? I absolutely think that's the case. But, you know, two weeks ago, I would have said it's going to be really hard to get Pavel Buchnevich away from the Blues. It's more of an offseason move. But now that you've dropped, what is it, two sets of back-to-back losses in their last five games while Nashville has won six in a row, while Minnesota has won seven of their last ten, and you're two points away from being the ninth worst team in the National Hockey League, I think Doug a lot more open to a team calling and saying, look, we've got a couple of picks and a prospect that we're willing to send to you for, for Pavel Buchnevich. I don't think that's the right move. If it's me, you're going to give me somebody who projects to be on my top line or my second line or a top four defenseman because seeing what other guys got that were pending UFAs at the trade deadline, I'm thinking Claude Giroux who got Owen Tippett. I'm thinking Timo Meyer who got uh, Shakir Mukmadulan who is a top a defensive prospect for them. If I'm moving him, you're giving me somebody who fills his spot on my team when the trade deadline is over. Yeah, and I, I think I'm right now 50-50 still if, if the Blues are going to do it because I, I think, yes, there will probably be a bidding war. I, I am genuinely curious to know, like, our team's going to be willing to part with two first-round picks for a guy that the Blues say is not fitting into their top line. And, and it's more so of that I, I think he's a good player, but I'm not sure he's a great player. And I don't know if teams want to give up two first-round picks or a first-round and a very highly touted prospect and maybe like a third-round pick for a guy like Pavel Buchnevich. But I can understand the thought process for the St. Louis Blues to where you hold on to him. You're going to wait and see if there is that offer that's out there. Maybe a team like Vegas, for example, gets very desperate with Mark Stone going on the LTIR, says let's use that cap space. Gensel, who's the top winger available, isn't. He's out due to injury. Maybe they say, okay, now we have to pivot to Pavel Buchnevich. So I, I think I'm 50-50 right now. If I had to choose a side to lean towards, I would lean towards him getting traded. But I, I think it's going to be a spur-of-the-moment kind of decision. Is somebody going to buckle and kind of go into the asking price that Doug Armstrong is looking for? Because Army will not trade him just to get him off of the table. He's He knows what he's doing. If the offer's not there... I think he will be traded. If it's not there at the deadline, he'll be traded in the offseason. So I'm swaying more towards him being traded now than I was previously. And the reason why is, let's get back to the three reasons, at least for me, why I think that you wouldn't trade Pavel Buchnevich. One, you thought that you were potentially in contention for the playoffs this year. And in doing so, I don't want to trade away a guy that is a driving force behind that contention for the postseason 
in the midst of trying to go on that playoff run. So that would be one reason why I would not have previously traded Pavel Buchnevich if I was in Doug Armstrong's shoes. Two, I think you could potentially use him in that deal that you're talking about, Alex, to try to get a star this offseason, whether that's Brady Kachuk or going out and uh, one of the guys that could be made available this offseason, either that's a pending UFA or that is on a team that's currently going through some kind of a change in either culture or direction. That could be another reason why. And the number three is because you want to extend him. Like if you're in Doug Armstrong's shoes, it's entirely possible. We're all looking at this wrong and he actually wants to keep Pavel Buchnevich around and B- Jordan Cairo is the one that he would like to move off of this team. So those would be the three reasons why I, I potentially would not have moved him previously. Uh, I think it's fair to say at this point that I don't know that the playoff <laughs> piece of that is a part of the calculus any longer. I, I don't think the Blues are going to extend Pavel Buchnevich. Right or wrong, I just don't get the sense that that's going to be the way that this is going to go. If it was something they really wanted to do, I think you would have heard these rumors already squashed. I think that would have been something that would come out where it's like, hey, yes, Pavel Buchnevich would generate some kind of interest on the market, but the Blues would like to keep him long term. There's no reason to keep him kind of waiting in the wings and not knowing what his future holds. If you want to extend him, make that known either to him or to the media, probably both. So I think we can write that one off. And then it comes down to, is he the piece that could potentially get you the star? Maybe, but if I'm Ottawa, do I want Pavel Buchnevich on a one-year deal? Or am I just probably going to end up losing out on him at the end of next year anyways? If I'm Toronto, if I'm Calgary, whoever that team is that you think could be a match for the Blues this offseason, is Buchnevich the guy that gets it done? I don't think so. I think that guy could be Jordan Cairo, but I don't think it is Pavel Buchnevich. And in that scenario... I think it does actually start to make more sense to move him at the deadline and then think about what you do with Kairou in the offseason because there seems to be teams that would have a lot of interest in him, man. Like if you're Vegas right now and you're looking at what you have available to you at the market, T-Bone, we were talking about this in the office. Okay, I could go get Jake Insel. I have no idea what his health situation is. And that is a team that has a lot of health situations to deal with to monitor going into the playoffs. He's also on an expiring deal. And if you're Vegas, you're probably not extending him beyond this season. Pavel Buchnevich has another year at a totally reasonable $5 million cap hit. So if you're Vegas, Buchnevich actually probably makes more sense for you. And I'm willing to pay whatever it costs to go out and get him because I'm all in right now. I'm trying to win as many cups while I can while I'm in this winning window. So I actually am starting to lean more towards like 60-40 yes that they trade him at the deadline because I think there are motivated buyers, there is a lack of supply out there, and as you get to the offseason, the same reason why the Blues might hold on to him to get one of those stars is the same reason why these other teams may actually push Booch down their list of forwards that they could trade for. Do I want Booch or do I want Pedersen? Do I want Booch or do I want Kachuk? Do I want Booch or do I want to go out there and get Mitch Marner? There are other options out there this offseason, whereas right now, he might be the lone top six forward. That is available at the trade deadline that is healthy and that has another year left of term on his deal at a reasonable rate. That is a hugely valuable player that you could play as a chip at the deadline that nobody else has to offer. And I guarantee they're going to dangle him out there. That's why Frank Saravalli's talking about him. That's why Chris Johnston at the Athletics talking about him. Elliot Friedman, Jeff Merrick are talking about him. He will be dangled. I, I just see Doug Armstrong having the price set. And it's probably going to cost teams more than they're willing to trade at the deadline, which 
the other side of the fence of this is part of it. Why you hold on to him is also look, maybe that it would make more sense in terms of if you're projecting into three years of what this team looks like, it probably would make more sense to see a Pavel Buchnevich as a part of this core and ship out Jordan Cairo. The problem with that is you got to find out what the extension is going to cost and you can't talk to him about that until July 1st. So that goes more towards do you wait until the offseason? If the, if the price is matched at the deadline, you trade him. If somebody's willing to give up the equivalent of what Owen Tippett was from the Florida Panthers for Claude Giroux or a top four projected defenseman by next season, you trade it. It doesn't matter. But because of those stars being available and because you might be also investigating a Jordan Cairo move, does it benefit you more to say, let's look at this offseason, let's start the conversations with Pavel Buchnevich and see what's out there for Jordan Cairo. And if both are unavailable, well, now I'm the bell of the ball in the offseason because I've got two guys that teams might look at and say, let's trade for these two pieces. Yeah, and I, I think for the Buchnevich conversation, I, I, to me, it feels like it's Vegas or bust. Because for Vegas, they're the team that feels like the one that would match the asking price. Because what you said, BK, they're they're all in on cup move or on yeah, you cup contention. Find the team that's that's it, really going. See, I, for I think it the right Rangers now. are higher up than Vegas. Really, I think Rangers are at the spot where they know they got the goaltending, they know the defense, they've got the prospects in the system. They need another guy to score, which sure I think is poetic that you trade Wh- him back to your team. Is, Rangers, right? maybe it's the Rangers, maybe it's Carolina, maybe it's Vegas, maybe it's Vancouver, whoever, Winnipeg, whoever. I'm not. I don't care at this point who that team is. I care that they exist, and I care that there's two of them. I like that he can say Vegas and you can say New York because now that's how you get a bidding war started, right? That's the best case scenario if you're Doug Armstrong, where you're you're pitting two teams against one another. And you say, Hey, Vegas, I'm getting this offer over here from the Rangers. What do you have that can up the ante? And then if they do, Hey, Rangers. I'm getting this offer over here from Vegas. They've got two first-round picks plus a prospect that's potentially coming my way or the equivalent of two first-round picks that's coming my way. What do you have that can potentially beat that? And if you're one of these teams, this is the kind of player that you probably go all in for. Like, I'm I'm not doing it personally as an or as a general manager for an expiring deal for Jake Insel. I'm just not doing it. I like Jake Insel a lot. If he was available to the Blues, I would try to acquire Jake Insel and then re-sign him and extend him long-term. The problem is, if you're one of these teams and you're up against the cap, many of them are, it's going to be really hard to be able to re-sign Jake Insel, and you don't know what his health status is. I know what Booch is health-wise. I know what his contract situation is. Maybe I'm re-signing him, maybe I'm not, but at least I get two post-seasons out of him. That is the kind of guy that, if I'm a general manager, I'm trying to go all in for. That's the move that I think can put teams over the top that already have a top line in place. Booch as a second-line forward? PK, power play, everything that you want out of him, he could be this year's better version of Ivan Barbashev. A team could acquire him at the deadline, and that's the move that puts them over the top for a Stanley Cup. And this is where I'm going to find it fascinating, because if I'm a GM from another team, though I do like Pavel Buchnevich, I I don't know if I'm giving up that capital for him, because I think he's a good player, not a great player. And when you're talking about trading two first-round picks and potentially a prospect as well— to me, that's the haul you give up for a great player. And that's what I think is going to be interesting about the whole Buchnevich sweepstakes because in the offseason, he is more of a rental. And then you can also have the conversations if you're a team acquiring about a contract extension where I think it's going to get interesting with Buch. Is I think you're going to see the value, how teams value him across the league because I for think sure. if he doesn't get traded this this trade deadline, I still think he's getting dealt in the offseason. I think it's teams just saying he's a good player, not a great player, and it's not worth two first-round picks. It comes down to what what team is really aggressive for him because like I I didn't think Claude Giroux was a great player available at the deadline when Florida traded him he had 
18 goals in 57 ben games. Chirot, another one. Ben Sherrod is another really good one. But like uh, Claude Giroux was 34 years old and impending UFA, who really was not the same player he was when he was in his prime. But the Florida Panthers, or I'm sorry, the yeah, the Florida Panthers looked at it and said, well, we need this guy for a playoff run. So they gave up their best prospect and a first round pick and a third round pick. So. It really comes down to what team deems Pavel Buchnevich necessary for them. And if a team is desperate enough, whether it's trade deadline or postseason, they're going to give up more than you think they should give up for that player. Absolutely. I, I think that Barbie, I think we're actually underselling locally how much he's worth to, to other teams. Yeah, well, Barbie was the, I mean, if you ask a lot of people in Vegas, Barbie would probably one of two players that helped them win the Stanley Cup that year. Jack Eichel was one of them and Barbie yep. was number two. I, I And I, for Booch, I think you could... I think you could get a ton. I, I think you are looking at something where because of the term on his contract that remains, because he is a guy that can play in every different situation for you, he he is exactly what every team needs. Like it, When you get to the trade deadline and there's a starting pitcher that is made available, and, or you know what, actually a reliever that is made available that can close out games for everybody and that is on a reasonable contract and a team is maybe even willing to pay some of that down. That dude is, he is an option for every team in Major League Baseball that is contending. That's how I feel about Pavel Buchnevich. If you're a contender and you're serious about trying to win a cup either this year or next, he's exactly the kind of player that you try to go out there and acquire. And because of that, I think it it actually increases his value out there in the market. Coming up in 15 minutes, questions and answers, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, realignment is very likely coming to Major League Baseball when it comes to the divisions across the league within the next five to seven years. When and if that happens, who do you want to make sure remains in the Cardinals division? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. comes to Major League Baseball, where are the Cardinals going to end up? It's a question that was uh, handled over on ESPN.com by Bradford Doolittle earlier today. He's talking about a 32 teams very likely going to be the case at some point in the next decade for Major League Baseball. And when that happens, what does baseball do? What do they do with the schedule? How do they handle the postseason? What do they do with the divisions? There's a lot of stuff that's going to have to change across the league within the next decade or so. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, the first thing he tackled was, okay, what happens to the divisions? You've got 32 teams now. You're obviously not going to have three divisions per league because now you're going to have some divisions that are um, out of whack in terms of the balancing of the schedule. So what he did instead was, hey, what if we went down to two divisions per league? The American League has two. The National League has two. And there are eight teams in each of those respective divisions. In such a scenario, you're going to have to have a bunch of realignment. I am curious, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. What are the teams that Cardinals fans would say are just non-starters? You have to have them in your division because this is what he had for the Cardinals, quote-unquote, 
new division under this scenario. The Houston Astros would be back. The Milwaukee Brewers and the Chicago Cubs remain in the Central Division with the Cardinals. And then you have essentially the castoffs of the AL Central. Minnesota, the Chicago White Sox, and the Kansas City Royals would all be in a division with the Cardinals in this scenario. The final team that would add to that mix is the Texas Rangers. So you've got Houston and Texas coming from the AL West to the NL Central. The Brewers, Cardinals, and Cubs remaining in the AL Central. And from the AL, you would have the Twins, White Sox, and Royals coming over. So there's your eight-team format in this scenario. Alex, how would you feel as a Cardinals fan about that being the division that you end up playing in? I'm fine with it. I think that's a good division. I think, to your first question, the only team that I would say is mandatory would be the Cubs. I'm totally with you. Everything else is kind of, you know, fine by me. I... I personally would say it's mandatory to put Milwaukee and Houston in there because I think all three of those teams have real good rivalry and history together, but you could throw anybody in there and I don't really care as long as the Cubs are there. Yeah, and that's fit for me as well. I think the Cubs are the only one that are a mandate have to be there. I I would like to see Milwaukee and Houston be with it because I I don't remember the the time of the the great Houston Cardinals rivalry because I was little, but... I, I do know kind of the story of it, the history of it, and if you can get some of that juice back into it, I think that's great for the game. And I, when I was growing up, Milwaukee was kind of the, the team because in 2011 you had the Brewers that were loaded with Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun, Corey Hart. Like I remember those teams just being like a big rivalry at the time. So I would want Milwaukee to be in there, but I'm not saying they're a must. I, I think the only team for me that is a must is the Chicago Cubs because I, I think there's – I saw the complaints from Cardinals fans this past year with 13 games against the Cubs, so I know that they would lose their mind if they weren't in their division. I'm totally with you guys. I think that's the one team for me that would be a must. And honestly, if I'm getting my wants, the teams that I would like to be in the division with the Cardinals, I would like the Houston Astros to be back in the division. I I, I know that was kind of pre-T-Bone, you being like old enough to comprehend what's taking place around you. The Astros-Cardinals games were amazing. And there was real postseason gravitas that surrounded those. And I think that's the other thing we have to keep in mind. A lot of what happens with quote-unquote rivalries is based at this point in time on do you play them in the postseason, yeah. you know? And, and if you don't play a team in the playoffs, it's kind of hard to build that same rivalry that once existed, you know, 40 years ago because the games just don't – they don't take on the same ferocity they once did. Like, you're not having beanball that takes place regularly in Major League Baseball the way that you once did. Cincinnati kind of had that with the the Cardinals for a while in the in the mid-2010s as well. That went away. It came back for the one the year. Really. It was really Castellanos that had a, yeah. some bad blood with the Cardinals, and he's no longer there. It's like a completely new team now. I, I don't feel like anybody has that same hatred at this point for that team. So for me, it would be the Cubs as number one, and then if I could have some wants, Houston. And am I off base? I think it'd be cool to have Kansas City in this division. I, maybe yeah, I'm just you're saying off that. Base on that one. Maybe yeah. I'm saying that because I'm... Yeah. Obviously from there, but regionally, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think they make it a big deal because it happens every year and you have that I-70 battle. But I, feel I don't like, think it's a huge deal, but I, I yeah. would like to see I, that. I, I just don't feel like there's that competition there to where like it gets you excited. And <laughs> That's where I am. I, You're right. <laughs> I don't think you have the say. It's, it's kind of like saying keep the Pittsburgh Pirates in the division. I'm, you know, I'm okay with them moving on. Baseball tried to build up like this cool, like, hey, there's going to be interleague rivalries. And then I look at the Cardinals and Cousins, or Cardinals and uh, Royals, I read something just the other day. Like they've won, like I think it's like twenty three or twenty five of the last like thirty meetings. Like it's not great. I don't, <laughs> like, let's not pretend it's a rivalry. To be fair, like hey, they replaced the Pirates. That's the team that you can now whoop oh, up on the in the division that that would allow you to have, have a that. nice ballpark. Though I, at least I they can argue about whose barbecue is better. <laughs> For sure, that's that's what it typically ends up coming down to. 
I do think this is going to be because so far, I think the vast majority of the responses on our text line are basically like, hey, yeah, this would be awesome. This sounds great. Now, can I can I bring something up that Cardinals fans won't like about this? I was about to bring up the schedule. Well, Is that I'm not, what you're getting I'm, to? No, I'm going to get to the conversation that we've had before of, hey, the Cardinals just play to win the NL Central. People probably hear this and go, oh, you've got the Cubs that have spent. You've got the Astros, the Rangers, they'll spend. Uh, can we just say that the true reality will be the Cardinals won't go from, oh, we got to spend more to win our division. It'll be, we just got to get the wild card spot. Dude, I had a back and forth with Bradford about this the other day, and it was my tone was basically the same as it was in the opening segment, which is to su- suggest not great. Oh, wow. Um, Bradford, Bradford was like, hey, if the Cardinals were in the NL East or the NL West, like they would have to spend more. I said, Bradford, do you really believe that they would do that? Or do you think they would end up just changing the word of, we are trying to win the division to, we are trying to make it into the playoffs. That's all they would do. The, the, the quest becomes the same. You're trying, it's the race to 90, the race to 90 wins. And that's what it would be in this division. Now you have Texas. Now you have the Cubs. Now you have the Astros. Cool. How do I get into the playoffs? We may never what win the division. What is the bare minimum say. threshold Mo to get will in? retire in that sense because he can't say we just need to get uh, in. Oh no, my motto's gone. <laughs> so the schedule part of this is also kind of fascinating. The suggestion in Bradford Doolittle's piece, and I think this is something that eventually will come to Major League Baseball for off days, for scheduling purposes, all of these different things, and frankly to expand the playoffs, 154 games. 10 games against each of your seven divisional opponents. So you've got 70 games within the division. Almost half of your games would be played there. Six games against each of the teams in the other division in your league. So this would be against the other National League division that takes place. So you would end up having 48 games against the other division. So 118 of your 154 games played in the National League. And then you would have at least two games against every one of the teams in the other league every single season with an extra game against four of them. So four quote-unquote rivalries each year. Um, And that'll change depending on the season. So you have 36 games of interleague play. How do you guys feel about that potential? Because I, I think like, that's where things get a little more dicey for a lot of fans. I just like that we're lessening it from 162. That makes me happy. Fewer games, wow. Fewer games is always a good you thing. You and Anthony Rendon. Yeah. Gross, gross, gross. I, I do not like it, and I don't like even the format of how you schedule it because 10 games against your division, what is this, hockey? No, I third, I thought 19 games was too much. They don't play 10 I, games in the division I know, anymore. they play like two. And <laughs> you blink and they're done. Um, I, I, I thought 19 was too much in the original format where they had just one division that you played in interleague. I think 13 is kind of the sweet spot where they got it now. 10, you're getting too low in my liking. <laughs> and then I, I hate the idea of like two games against the interleague teams because – when I think baseball, I think series. Baseball is a sport that is about series. You know, you look at the Cardinals' schedule. Yeah, they got like one or two two-game sets. That's fine. That's just how you got to make it work. But it's always the three-game set, the four-game set, the three-game set. I don't want to start all of a sudden just seeing on my calendar pop up a bunch of two-game sets so they can get more off days. So yeah. I'm out on that. I, I do not like that. Baseball does that. I'm, oh, I may need a new sport. I kind of love it. I kind of love the way do. that they would format this schedule. I like the 154-game idea. I, I think it makes a lot of since the thing that I don't love, and I know T-Bone's going to hate, he has a 14-team playoff, so you'd have seven teams in each league that would make it. It's essentially I, the same. But what they would do, he's basically using the NFL as his, this would be the format for everything. It's that That's where the the two eight-team divisions, it's basically just breaking down the four divisions that you have in each conference in the, in the NFL, putting those into one, and then having the same idea for what your playoff format would be. Similar idea concept-wise for baseball. 
I don't think a lot of fans would be thrilled about that notion. They shouldn't be. I mean, look at how the offseason's been spent. Ever since we've expanded the playoffs, it's become a race to 84. Yep. Like, I know the owners said, oh, well, more teams, you get more fan bases. This was invested. our concern whenever they were talking it, about doing it, it. It's been what we all thought was going to happen. Owners, without a cap, can operate on their own spending, and they will operate to spend to get to 84 wins. It's become a major issue for Major League Baseball to where you see Matt Chapman, Blake Snell, and Jordan Montgomery still free agents. So somebody on the text line asked what I think is a fair question, but I I do think it still matters. Somebody said, why even have the American League and the National League? Couldn't you just have pods that you're essentially playing with throughout the, the year? I, the reason why I do think it still matters is the same reason why you have conferences in the NBA and in, in, in the NFL and in the NHL. You got to have a best way to get through the postseason. And I do think that it makes sense to build your team to beat the other contenders in your respective league or conference. So like in the NFL, if you're in the AFC right now, you've got to find a way to beat Patrick Mahomes. That is the stated goal. And if you're in the NFC, I think there's a very different team build that you can have right now. Like if you're the Bears, you should be going into this offseason thinking, hey, could we be a contender in 2024? And the answer might be yes, because the conference is much more wide open than it is in the AFC right now. Same thing is true in, in baseball. If you're in the American League, you've got to build a very different way right now than what you have to do in the National League. Not because of roster requirements or anything, but because of what your competition is. So I do still think there is value in yeah. having the two respective leagues. And it allows for easier travel once you get to playoffs. That, too. That's a big thing. Because too. I know the NBA had talked about moving to the, what was it, just seed all 30 teams. But then you could have a team where you got like New York, for example, baseball. You could have like the Yankees and, I don't know, the LA Angels. Sure. They'll never make <laughs> the playoffs in the next 10 years. But that could happen to where that's like a best of three games. And all of a sudden, you got to travel between those two different spots. That's a ton of travel that's got to go on. That's no, to why be fair, they do the it. same thing could be true with the wild card of like going from the Mets to the Dodgers, for example, uh, in the National true. League. But you could it, fix it, that it's too. Less by just so, it's, it's, less less, it's less so, yeah. And like this, like you could have multiple matchups that are that way. I, I do. I think 32 teams is coming. I think something to this degree will take place. Somebody else on the text line brought up, hey, guys, the, the numbers are really important in baseball. You can't screw with the 162-game season. Thank you. Fair, but they did play fewer games previously. So baseball has already messed with the number of games that have been played. I, I don't know that it would be Money hungry, too. owners ruining the game. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Driven by Offenburg Kia in the St. Clair Auto Mall in Shiloh off I-64. is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you guys got any questions, go ahead and throw them in right now on the Air Comfort Service text line or check it out over on the YouTube page, youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. That's where the graveyard chat is. Bunch of people getting in on that today as well. All right, guys, let's start out with this from the 980. Guys, you were just talking about reconfigurations of the Major League Baseball League and it Uh, and having an additional team or two in the next 10 years. If you had to guess, which cities do you think Major League Baseball will expand to? In this, by the way, format that Bradford uh, put together, it was Montreal and Nashville that got the two teams that were expansion cities. I think Nashville's a pretty strong guess. Vegas is, of course, getting the team. Montreal's a good one. 
Dallas, maybe? It'd be weird to put another team in, in Texas with already having a couple of them, but Dallas seems to be big. I wonder if Salt Lake City becomes a big deal, For sure. with especially if hockey becomes something there. And the one that I've always wondered, which who knows if you don't have the right fan base, is uh, Louisville in Kentucky. Man. I mean, it seems to be a baseball hotbed, but my guess would be I'd put money down on either Dallas or Salt Lake City. I would go with Nashville for sure is going to happen. And then I think it's going to come down to a race between Montreal and Salt Lake. And right now, what about Portland? Isn't Portland one that had? Yeah, been but getting in on this? I don't know if they've gained a ton of traction. Sure. You know, like Salt Lake City is the one that seems to be buzzing because of what Alex had mentioned. I mean, they feel like the front runner to get the Coyotes, if not an expansion team. So I, I think Salt Lake City is going to be a one in it. That's kind of a booming area. So I, I think it's going to be Salt Lake and I think it's going to be Nashville. If Salt Lake City gets hockey before baseball, baseball will be coming very soon after. Yeah. I wish Vegas was not getting the A's because that would be a great expansion. City. Trust me, I mean, we've Rob seen Manford that feels the same way. NBA is going to expand to Vegas. NHL has had a huge success in Vegas. I would say the Raiders have been a success more often than not uh, in Vegas, despite their lack of success as a team. They still have place out. Yeah, and, but it's only 16 dates or eight dates as well yeah. for, for the home dates. And so it's, it's a little usually different. not just Raiders fans. But I, I do think Vegas would be much better as a baseball expansion team as opposed to bringing that godforsaken team there. I do and wonder if Sacramento or something in that area could become an expansion city. It's tough because you can't get the stadium built in the state of California right now, it feels like. Um, but that would be another one that I would kind of throw out there. I, Nashville is the one that feels certain. After that, I, I'm, I'm just not sure. And Nashville's got a bunch of big names on. I don't even know what their title is, but like Dombrowski's a part of it. Yeah. Like there's a chance when Nashville, they expand to Nashville if it comes while Dombrowski's still able to do a pobo job, he will take that job. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, any news on the Mizzou AD search yet? Nope. Nothing on that front. Um, hopefully, hopefully something very soon, though. Just like the basketball team. Yeah, dude, I don't even know if you call that a whiff. I, I dismissed you uh, early, early on. on in the season about them going with zero wins in the conference slate. Not only is it possible now, it feels likely. <laughs> they stink. It's... All right. Uh, from the 636, guys, do you think that the Bears will end up trading Justin Fields? And if so, do you think that he could still become an elite level starter in the NFL? I think he gets traded. I don't think he becomes an elite starter wherever he goes. I think that's the downfall of Justin Fields when you get traded elsewhere. I think he was in the right spot with Chicago now that they started giving him weapons to work with. He and DJ Moore looked like they were working out. I, I think that's going to be, especially if he goes to like Pittsburgh, I think that's going to be the downfall of Justin Fields. I think he gets traded. I don't know if he'll ever be viewed as elite because we've seen it in spurts with Justin Fields. And that's why, like, I think he can work out for the team that trades for him. I think it's going to be Atlanta. Um, but you've never seen it consistently click. And even when he has had it working in spurts, I don't know if I've ever viewed him as a elite quarterback. I think the best case for him is he ends up going to like the Jared Goff, Jared Goff realm in that range where it's like, OK, he's like fringe top 10 quarterback. And if you have weapons around him, you can win with them. That's that's kind of where I'm at. I think he can be a good quarterback. I would be shocked if he becomes an elite level quarterback. Yeah. And it's why I think the Bears are making the right move to trade him because you have to aim for elite. And right now you have been given a gift. The Panthers screwed this up so miraculously this past season that you were given the opportunity to select number one despite you winning seven games. That never happens, man. This is going to be one of the best situations a number one overall pick has come into in the last 20 years because the Bears are not a you know what show they're fine 
They're, they're not great, but they're fine right now. And they have their own pick, which is at the back end of the top 10 as well. So you can add Caleb Williams, Drake May, whoever your favorite quarterback is in this year's class, Jaden Daniels for that matter, if he's your guy. And you can add another blue chip type of talent at the back end of the top 10. You can really make some hay there. I think they could be the next version of the Detroit Lions if things go right. If they get it right at the quarterback position, I think they will be what the Lions were not this past season, but the year prior, where it's like, oh man, you can see it. It's all coming together. And if they have one more good draft, that is a team to watch out for, but they got to get it right at the quarterback position. I think the best way to do that is to trade Justin Fields. I do not believe that he's going to be elite and go ahead and give your opportunity to find a top five guy by drafting at number one overall. I think there's a pretty decent chance whoever's drafted number one ends up being worse than Justin Fields. But there is a non-zero chance that that guy becomes elite. There is, I think, a 0% chance that at this point, Justin Fields becomes elite in the NFL. Coming up next, the Blues performance of late is making it very easy for Doug Armstrong to decide what to do as we approach this year's trade deadline. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. sober-minded look at where the Blues stand right now in the NHL. Don't look at the Western Conference. Don't look at it. Just where are you right now in the NHL? And if you look at the standings for the draft, the Blues are closer right now to the ninth overall selection than they are to making the postseason. Vegas, Vegas, Oh, man, Vegas. you get to be in the sphere. That is where the Blues are. And if you're Doug Armstrong... Man, I think you're taking a breath of fresh air today if I'm being totally candid with you. I think he knew as well as anybody. This is not a team that's going to make a lot of noise in the postseason. This is a team that's making a lot of hay right now based on the power play, based on really good goaltending, based on a high shooting percentage at 5-on-5. All three of those things, unsustainable. And over time, if I were, in Doug Armstrong's shoes, to continue to invest in what is probably a sinking ship, it's going to look bad a year, two years, three years down the road. We're throwing money at a problem. Instead of getting a new HVAC unit, we're trying to continue to repair the old one. Man, at some point, you just got to get the new unit. And right now, that's really probably where the Blues are at. And they found out because the unit went bad. It went bust. And so they're calling the company right now, and they are deciding. They're calling the Air Comfort Service uh, text line, and they're saying, hey, we need a new unit, and that's what this year's trade deadline allows them to do. Doug Armstrong, in my opinion, I think the Blues' recent performance has made his job very simple. There's no reason to add anything of significance that will only be for this year. Anything that you're going to add will be because you're a buyer and a seller. It'll be kind of like what we talked about for the Cardinals last year, where it's like, hey, sell off all of these assets. If there becomes something that's an opportunity for you here, yeah, maybe you go out and buy it and you just get a head start on your offseason. But there's nothing that you should do here that is to bolster this team to try to make a push for the playoffs. That's not necessary. You're in sport. the same spot you were when you traded Paul Stastny, where your team was within striking distance of a playoff spot, but you said, we know what we know what the uh, writing on the wall is. What were they at that year? Do you remember? Uh, I thought they were only two or three points out of a playoff spot. So obviously you're a little bit different in this one, but you do have two games in hand on Nashville with the six-point differential. But if I'm not mistaken, you were one or two points behind that final wildcard spot for a playoffs, and Doug looked at it and said we got to trade Paul Stastny and the team was upset because you were trying to fight for the playoffs and you weren't there 
this is a different scenario in terms of fighting for a playoff spot because you've won four of your last 10 while the teams in front of you, Nashville has put together a six game winning streak and the teams behind you are playing better than you with Minnesota winning seven of their last 10 and they're tied in points with you right now. The, 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 the trend that always plays out and I, I think Curbs looked at this, and it's been like the last 30 years, is goal differentials for the team. If you're in the plus, you're a playoff team. And if you're on the minus, you're not a playoff team. And if you look at the top 16 teams, uh, Nashville, which just cracked that conversation, is a zero in terms of goal differential. Now, Calgary's a plus one. They might be able to push into this one. But everybody else, I mean, you look in the Western Conference, Blues minus 13, Minnesota minus eight, Seattle minus six, Arizona minus 24. The trend is what Doug sees, and it, I, I'll go out on a limb and say when Doug speaks post-trade deadline and talks about when he kind of figured out that this team wasn't a playoff team, he'll go back to that Columbus Blue Jackets game. And I know you picked up wins against you know Edmonton and Buffalo and Montreal, but that Columbus Blue Jackets game, the Blues were doing what he talked about on December 14th when they fired Craig Berube to where every night you went to the rink and you were wondering what's going to take place, where you play a few good games and you feel like you start to make progress, and then you go out there and you lay the dud. The consistency, the aggressiveness from the Blues team, that was that Columbus Blue Jackets game. Yeah, and I think for the Blues, at least in Doug's point of view, I don't think there was ever a time in which he really thought he was going to be a buyer. I think this season all along has been, Probably. do we avoid this scenario where we're looking to trade Buchnevich or exploring maybe a trade with Jordan Cairo? I think it's been more about can they compete to where I don't have to just pick this thing apart and tear it down to the studs again. I, I think there was no way he was buying. I, I think there was a maybe a scenario where if they were like continuing to ride a hot streak into the deadline, maybe he looks to add what you were talking about, which was a person that doesn't helps this year, but more so helps in the future. Because I thought all along they'd be looking for a top nine forward with some control. But I think you're right. Recently, they've kind of reverted back to the team they were when the season started, where it's inconsistent, don't know what you're going to see, and the numbers back up that it hasn't been sustainable, and it's why I was a little hesitant to buy in, even during the hot streak, to where now it's become the unfortunate task of, okay, though we are a playoff team and they want to be competitive, they know the best thing for the franchise is to be exploring and dangling Pavel Buchnevich. And I think you should sell everything right now. I mean, and what I mean by that is I think you should explore the Pavel Buchnevich. I think you should explore the Brandon Saad, the Kasperi Kapanen, the Kevin Hayes, the Marco Scandella. Explore the market on your defense. At least begin the conversations for the offseason totally if you, you get down there. And look, maybe maybe you strike gold and you're able to move three guys. And, and even if you're getting picks for it, what you're also trying to do is you're opening up spots to figure out what you have in your system. Get Matthew Kessel back into the lineup on a consistent basis. I'm upset about that. I, 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 me too, buddy. I, I was very upset. I, he, he, I don't blame him. Sure I would have been here to support the cause. I had to. Uh, I had to prep what I was going to say so it didn't go off the rails. But like, and, and I know all of us are on the same page with Tyler Tucker. But play him because obviously you sure. feel like he's part of the team. Put him in the lineup. Put Nikita Alexandrov in the lineup. Call up Adam Gaudet. Call up Zach Dean. Start figuring out what these guys are. So we do don't, what the Cardinals did in September. Don't do this rodeo again next year where you've got all of these guys that you're like, well, we feel like Sammy Blake could be a part of the top nine. No, you knew from the get-go that it wasn't going to take place. You forced the role there. Stop forcing the role. I, I'm totally in agreement with you. 
I would be willing to listen on Jordan Cairo. I'm willing to listen on Pavel Bushnevich, Brandon Saad, Kevin Hayes, K- Kasperi Kapanen, Sammy Blay, where that's not happening. Uh, Nikita Alexander. Rangers might take him back. <laughs> Justin Falk, Tori Krug, Nick Letty, Marco Scandella, Tyler Tucker, anybody? Scott Perunovich, anybody? Those are the guys that I'm willing Rem- to listen to right remember- now. Yakub Vrana, anybody interested? Ooh, no. Just birthday. I think he's he just, suspended. I think he's suspended. Too. <laughs> remember the uh, Remember the report? I think Elliot Friedman had it that in 2018, before they went on that run, he called Doug Armstrong, everybody around the National Hockey League, and said, I'm having a fire sale of everybody on this team. And he like listed off every negative trait about the squad. I would almost argue Doug Armstrong's at that point with this team, with the exception of a couple of players like, on their roster. There's four guys that you would say that aren't being potentially dangled. Thomas. Yeah. Pareko. Yeah. Binner. Yeah. Neighbors. And neighbors. Yeah. I'd put Shen in that, too. I don't think they're going to dangle Shen. Shen but I, I also don't think, don't think anybody's trading for him. Like yeah, If, if that, you're another team, kind of he is not reason. the guy. That, yeah. that contract is not something that's tradable right yeah. now. Yeah. But I also think they're just like, why? Why, yeah. why move that? Like, for six and a half, we'll keep that. Everything else needs to go. Yeah. If you... I'm being honest, and I love Braden Shen. If somebody's willing to take on that deal, I am absolutely listening right now. I, I don't want to do it, but... Six and a half million dollars, what I could end up getting from that salary slot, I would definitely listen. Yeah. But I don't think anybody out there is going to be willing to take on that kind of a Same. deal. Do you think they could move one of these defensemen? No. Because if, if there's a priority this offseason, it should be once again for the third consecutive season. Um, I'm Moving sorry. on from one of those trades. You said offseason. I thought you meant trade deadline. Deadline or into the yeah. offseason, but prior to the start of next there's year. There's too many guys available at the trade deadline for them to be able to move okay. any of this. So, no, I don't think so. And with that type of money, nobody's going to be willing to come to the table with it. Offseason, sure. I, I Doug Armstrong pulled it off last offseason. And the player said no. Like, Doug Armstrong had a deal in place where they were bringing in Travis Sanheim, who's been a number one defenseman Man. for the Philadelphia Flyers. And the player said he no. Did it again. He did it again. So, like, sure. Would a team be interested in Justin Falk? Maybe. Tory Crew? I hope so. Meh. Nick Letty. I think if there's one guy you could move in the offseason, it's Nick Letty. Because Nick Letty has played top fine. pair minutes with Colton Pareko. He's been fine. And for $4 million, somebody could say, we need that for our second pair. So... You mentioned that you would compare this year and what the approach is to the Paul Stastny deadline. Mm-hmm. Can I compare it to last year? Because the Blues decided on February 18th to trade Ryan O'Reilly. At that point, they had played 55 games. They were 26, 26, and 3. The Blues have played 58 games this year. They're 30, 26, and 2. They're slightly better this year. Slightly. But... I think the end result is pretty similar, man. Now, the difference is you had Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko and Ivan Barbashev and Nico Mikola and a bunch of pending Perfect UFAs. Rentals. Yeah, absolutely. You were and in, there was already a bidding war that started in January for those guys. No doubt. You were in an ideal scenario. I think the same might be true right now. But you were in an ideal scenario to send out guys on expiring deals where you can make it work contract-wise for everybody involved. And they were rentals. It's easy. This year is more complicated where the deals that you're trying to make are for players that have multiple years remaining of significant cap hits. And that's a very different conversation where it might be something they have to have these conversations now to get everything started, to kick it off for the off season. But I I do think in terms of where the team is situated, it is more similar now than what it was like a week or two ago. I mean, you're, you're basically in the exact same spot at the NHL draft standings as you were at this point last year. I I I would say this trade deadline is going to be underwhelming compared to Probably. a lot of Blues fans' minds, but I think the 
offseason is going to be different than last year. Last year, it was built up to be like the the Blues are going to be the most active team. They're going to be making a ton of moves because they want to reset this table. And it didn't happen. They made one trade and that was it. I think that's going to be the opposite this offseason because Doug, we you heard him at the draft, T-Bone. You were in those scrums where he talked about the defense and said, look, we're just going to hope that last year was an anomaly. And look, defensively, they've been better than what they were last year, but now it's the offensive side of it. And you've had that offense for two straight years doing the same thing. I think Doug is going to be wheeling and dealing this offseason because you do have to reset this table fast. Blues back in action tonight. A back-to-back, not an easy task. They're going up against Lost. the Edmonton Oilers on the road. Pre-game with Alex begins tonight at 6.30 right here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN Puck drop tonight at 730. It's a national game, but you can listen to it locally right here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, some NFL quick hitters, including if the Chicago Bears called every team in the NA or in the NFL and said, we'll trade you our first overall pick and we'll trade you our ninth overall pick. How many teams say no if that trade is presented for their starting quarterback? We'll discuss that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Into some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So some some crazy man over on CBS Sports Radio said, hey, what if the Chicago Bears called up the Bills, said, we'll give you the number one and number nine overall pick, and you give us Josh Allen. Oh, I thought that was a fake account on Twitter. I thought I fell for a fake account. <laughs> nope, it's real. Oh, that guy was so, enjoying his evening. To be very candid, that is not something that the Bills would or could do. They would take on $60 million in dead cap, which is a third of this year's salary cap. Probably not a good decision. Who by cares them. about the cap, really? A Josh Allen for a potential first overall pick? Sure. Yeah. For a million different reasons, I don't think that's something that the Bills would or should explore. But I would be curious. It did get me thinking, Alex. How many teams if the Bears called them today and said, we will give you the number one and number nine overall pick and hell, we could throw in Justin Fields as a replacement for your quarterback as well, right? Or if you don't want him, fine, no problem. Number one, number nine, you're going to take a quarterback at number one anyways. How many teams win the Bears call with that offer? Say, no, we are not interested in doing that. Take away the money for a second. Let's set that aside because there's cap ramifications of trading a quarterback that are detrimental to your team for a lot of different reasons, but okay. if they did that, how many teams say no in your mind? There's three in the AFC. Buffalo, Can- Kansas City, and Cincy? Houston. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even, I, put, I didn't put Buffalo into this because we just talked about him. So four, Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincy, and Houston. Otherwise, I'm saying yes, and I know Baltimore is included in this. Wow. Uh, I, I just, I, I, I would rather reset the clock. I get it, man. Yeah. I, I understand. Oh, I it. thought you said wow. Or, I, I thought you said why. I think for a lot of people, yeah. they would hear that and say, wow, really, Alex? You're yeah. taking the MVP, getting rid of him, trading him yeah. for a first overall pick. That probably, is a maybe. Probably use an expletive, too, in there. Sure. Makes sense. Um, if I'm, T-Bone, do you agree with that on the AFC side of things? Is there anybody else that you would throw into that mix? Like, are you trading Justin Herbert for the first and ninth overall pick? I mean, I think I would. I, I would don't know too. if he's proven enough yet to not be traded away. Can't, now, granted... I think the Jets would be in this mostly because Aaron Rodgers is the front office and he wouldn't trade himself, but they should do it anyway. I would trade myself if I'm Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I have to do it. Uh, NFC, every team should say yes to that. I, I, 
If, if I'm any team in the NFC, I'm saying yes. Even Brock Purdy. Even Brock Purdy. Oh, especially Brock. Even, even, Brock, <laughs> even Brock Purdy. T-Bone had to look over. He's like, is he serious right now? I was like, and, what? And, and I'm including Detroit in this. I... Jared Goff was great, but I'm resetting the yeah, clock. For a first overall yeah. pick, you tell me I get Caleb Williams over Jared Goff? Get I, out of I, here, Jared. I know Jared. you love your boy Jordan Love, but yep, saying Jared yes. Jared Goff is trading himself. Yeah. If he were in the situation in Detroit yeah. that Aaron Rodgers is in in New York, he'd be like, I can't say no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't All know of these teams. And, and like, if I'm Dallas, you don't even have to finish your sentence. Hey, we'd like to trade you our first over. Yes. Sure. Don't allow them to take this back. Sure. Yes. In. But yeah. started, you got to finish it. And I know T-Bone, the Rams, Stafford, get the hell out of here, oh, Matthew. Dude. We're bringing in the first and ninth overall pick. Now, let's continue this conversation. If you're the Bears, who would you be targeting? If I tell you that Allen, Burrow, Mahomes, and Stroud are off limits, but mm. you could go out there and get any other quarterback that is currently starting in the NFL, but you got to give up your number one overall pick. Is there somebody that you're saying to yourself, huh? I'm going to go get that guy. I mean, I, I would say it's Lamar. If they're not going to say no, I'd be calling them and saying, cool, trade me Lamar. Am I crazy if I say it's Justin Herbert? I think that's the guy that I'd be targeting. And I, man, I might actually do that if I'm the Bears. I think I'd keep the picks if I'm the Bears. Yeah. Justin Herbert, I mean, although he's good, I mean, look, at he hasn't been able to do much with a inept head coach and good weapons. That's and the thing. Like, you might be buying really low on that asset right now. I don't know if you got the Who's weapons got to work with them. Who's got a better chance of being an elite-level quarterback in the NFL? Caleb Williams slash Drake May or Justin Herbert? The other thing you got to factor in, though, is you got to pay him. He's going to have to get paid here in the very near And future. I would go Williams or Drake May and yeah. play the long game to see what they got. That's what I would do as well. It, is it odd? And I, I'm probably going to get pushback for this. I'm prepared. Would it be odd if I said I would target a younger quarterback still on his rookie deal and I'd go after Anthony Richardson? I get it. I, I do that. I saw what I wanted to see out of him this year. Now, he had trouble staying healthy. Now, that is a major concern. You think he's got a better chance to be elite than Caleb Williams or Drake May, though? I mean, to be fair, I'm not sure there's a lot of quarterbacks that have that opportunity, but I think he's got a chance. But that's what you got to have in order to trade I, away the number the one. The only guy that's pick. there, the, obviously, are the other ones, C.J. Stroud. It's the yeah, only guy that— But if he's unavailable. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Houston's like, no, we already got the guy that you're hoping you've got. Everyone else C.J. is not— Stroud, given the contracts, I you think, made this point last year, Alex. I think he's the second most untradeable player in the NFL after Mahomes mm-hmm. because of the contract status. I think with Richardson, I think he can get there. Now, I don't know how long his window for elite is. You know, I, I think it's a lot of Cam Newton. Sure. No, Cam Newton had an elite window. But it was very small compared to your, like, Justin Herbert, the guys that can stick in the pocket a little bit more because Newton used his body, ran, and got beat up and got injured. So, like, I think your window's a little bit smaller. But if I am trading that number one pick and I'm saying, like, oh, I need to go get a quarterback that could end up being better than Caleb Williams slash Drake May, I would go with a guy that's still on a rookie contract, and I would probably target Anthony Richardson because I don't think Stroud would be available. Who says no, that deal or the Jets with Zach Wilson? Jets with Zach Wilson, right? Yeah. Sure. Uh, he because he's, he's buddies with Aaron Rodgers. We heard all about that during uh, during Hard Knocks. By the way, there was a really interesting quote earlier today from Nicole Hardman, who was on a podcast, and he was talking about why it didn't work in New York. It's actually genuinely interesting. He's like, listen, there's no discipline there. Like, guys are just, they're sitting with their uh, helmets next to them on the sidelines. There's no urgency. There's no discipline. Everything was just, hey, this is what Aaron wants. This is what Aaron wants. This is what Aaron wants. And then you get into the regular season. Aaron Rodgers goes down in the first game of the season, and nobody knows what to do at that point because it was all Aaron's idea. Everything was, this is his offense. He's going to be in charge. And when he goes down, there was nothing left to fall back on. I thought it was actually a really interesting point. And he was like, listen, these guys are trying to tell me how to win. 
I've been to three Super Bowls in the last four years. I know how to win, and what we're doing isn't going to be a part of it. So I, I thought it was really interesting, and it, it spoke to the lack of culture that exists right now in New York oh. beyond just Aaron Rodgers was hurt, and that's what ruined the season. They have bigger issues than just the Rodgers injury. Breaking in news, Meikle Hardman re-signs with the Jets. <laughs> there you go. All right, uh, next thing up here as we go through some NFL quick hitters. It was announced earlier today, reported, that the Chiefs are going to franchise tag officially Legereus Sneed, but that they will allow him to explore contracts and trade options elsewhere. Who do you think makes the most sense for Legereus Sneed if he were to go elsewhere? Man. Because I've got one team in mind that I look at and I'm like, I mean, a lot of fun. Revs your engine? Mm-hmm. I'd be... Mine would be Houston. Oh, I like that. I don't think they would trade him to Houston because you're keeping him in the AFC. Sure. And if you're the Chiefs, move him out. But if I'm Houston, I'll do everything possible to get that player on my team. Because what do they need? They need help defensively. Yeah, that's a really good one. The reason I said rev your engine, because I'm going to the Motor City, baby. Biting <laughs> that's kneecaps. another good one. <laughs> Give me the Lions. Man, that secondary sucked last year. Man, they could use LeJarius Sneed. That, that is a really good one. How about this one? Arizona. Oh, Arizona's oh, defense is awful. They have a ton of cap available to them. They have the 35th overall pick. They have the 27th overall pick. But they still have a crappy quarterback. They like him. I I actually kind of liked what I saw from Kyler down the stretch last year. I don't think that's like saying the Blues like Kyru. They like him. Cool. What's that mean? He's got a great personality. I don't even know if he does. Um, They probably play Arizona. Could be a really interesting spot. The other team that I would throw into this mix is New England. I don't know what New England's going to do. They've got a lot of issues, obviously. But if they well, take a draft one third overall three, and they have the 34th overall pick, I could see them using pick number 34, for example, to go out there and get a guy like Legereus. The State. other one that I would do is Dallas from the Cowboys. Like they just, have no money. Here. I know that's the problem. And, and you've then you've got to have money to be able to spend. That's why I would like trade this. Dak for the first and ninth overall pick and then trade for Legereus Sneed. The other team that I would say keep an eye on is the Rams. I, I think they're going to make a big splash. It's either at defensive end or they have a first round pick. Year. So we know yeah. they're not going to pick there. So they're going to have to trade for something. What's funny though is like they're they are basically telling everybody like, hey, this pick, no, we are holding well, yeah, on to this one. Like it's a years. child. Liar. You know? No, I think they keep this one. You haven't one. had one since 2011. Uh, 20. Golf. Oh, gosh, no, it's after that. Was it? 18? I don't think it was. I think it was golf. I not? think it might have been golf. <laughs> no way. I would put money on golf. The last first round pick was golf. <laughs> oh, my God. 2011. They oh, traded the 2017 crap. pick for golf. They traded the 2018 pick for Brandon Cooks. Uh, 2019, they traded it to Atlanta for more picks. 2020 sure and moved. 2021, they traded to Jacksonville for Jalen Ramsey. And 2022 and 2023, yeah. they the traded last time, to Detroit the last time for they, Matt Stafford. The last time they selected in the first round was when they were the St. Louis Rams. <laughs> Think about that. Think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. So were they technically the only Rams that they drafted golf? No, they. I mean, they were moving. Well, if you want to get to technicalities, but the team that drafted Jared Goff was the St. Louis Rams. I think they were technically LA, but they had never played a game yet. Well, in Kevin Demoff's mind, they were. That was going to be their first upcoming season in Los Angeles. All right. The last time that they made a selection, they had not yet played a game in Los Angeles. I just don't know. Like, if it comes down to like a late first to get Snead. I don't know if they would trade for Snead. I think what they're going to target is Brian Burns. They love what Brian Burns. What if the Burns. Chiefs traded their 32nd overall pick and Snead for the 19th pick? Uh, I could see them doing oh, that. That'd be a good I, move. I could see the Rams doing that. I, I think that's a move that they would do. Then they would probably select with 32. 
I don't know if they would yeah. flip two first round picks in the same They're year. They're trading down. They're not picking. Thirty two goes for a second round, and they still go on the longest streak of not drafting one first of the draft. overall. They're going to trade down to like Washington. Washington's going to move up to get uh, a quarterback. They're going to opt th- against trade taking quarterback. I don't quarterback think I had to watch the first two days of the draft the last couple of years. I think they should lean into this and see how many years consecutive they can go without drafting in the first round. They should do the whole f them picks mindset. Trade for Snead. They do get that thirty second pick and flip it to go get Brian Burns. They do that. They have done that. Coming up next, Dylan Carlson made a weird play in center field. This guy. Is it Dylan Scott or Dylan Scott? Is it Victor Scott's time? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. are taking on the New York Mets today. It's a game that's only on SNY, so it's not available for you on Valley. But we've got the stream going on right now, Alex, and we were able to see a play that Dylan Carlson had a real tough time with out in center field. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the ball is off the bat. It's from Pete Alonso. It's 100 miles per hour. The expected batting average on it was 180, according to StatCast. (laughs) Well, that will definitely... So it had a... 82% 82% chance of being an out. But not with Dylan Carlson in center field because he tried to track this thing down. My guess is that it got caught in the wind because it is very windy down there in Florida. Now, this is a game that is being played at Port St. Lucie, not no that it's being played in Jupiter. Um, he, met, he lost it. Lost it in the air, and it ends up flying over his shoulder as he's trying to go back on the ball. Alex, my firm stance on Dylan Carlson has always been, I don't think he's a bad center fielder. I think he's average to below average in center. I think he's an above average corner outfielder, and he's average to below average in center. And I think Tommy Edmond is really good out there in center field defensively. I know people look at it, they're like, why are you taking an infielder and placing him in the outfield? Forget that he ever played infield. Just take that out of your mind for a second. Just evaluate him on what he's doing, right? And what he's doing is playing in center field at a borderline elite level. And so the defensive liability that you have going from Tommy Edmond, the drop-off from Edmond to Carlson, is significant. I think the bats are pretty similar. I don't think they're as different as people make it out to be. But the defense is significantly different with Edmond out there. Well, Edmond's not available right now, which means that the competition for Dylan Carlson in center field currently is Victor Scott. I don't think Victor Scott is truly ready for the big leagues yet. I think if you put him up here, he's going to struggle at times at the plate. I don't think it's going to look pretty sometimes. And defensively, you'll probably see some moments where you're like, yeah, that's a kid that hasn't played above double A yet and only played 70 games at double A. The ball just, it, it's hit differently at the big league level. It's harder. It's coming at you faster. It's coming at you at different angles than it would be at the minor league levels. And the stadiums are bigger. There's different sight lines, all of these different things. Alex, what does Dylan Carlson need to do this spring if Tommy Evans not going to be ready for opening day? to make sure that Victor Scott doesn't have an opening, that the Cardinals coaching staff, their front office, doesn't even like start kind of having those wandering eyes of, hey, but what would it look like if Victor Scott was in center field for us? What does Carlson need to do to shut that door? Well, for starters, make that catch. It, it can't yeah, be yeah. like how I was going to describe it of, I got it, I got it, I got it. Oh, I don't got it. Yeah, make that catch and don't blame the wind as to why you didn't make the catch. But uh, joking aside, defense. 
I mean, I, I think yeah. they know what he is offensively, and you're a guy who can hit from one side of the plate, and we're probably going to have you towards the bottom of our lineup and not expect much. But you need to be great defensively. And not not the player we think you are in terms of, yeah, you're fine and you could do for a couple of weeks. No, we need you to be not Victor Scott level, but can you be can you be what Randall Gritchick was when he was for center field at times for the Cardinals? Can you be can you be somebody that we're not worried what it's going to look like every time the ball goes up? Because you still have a lot of guys on this team that like to pitch to contact, which means you're going to be very active in the outfield. And we still don't know what Jordan Walker is going to look like defensively. So you're going to have to 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 wipe the the question marks of man. Should Victor Scott just make this team? D- Dylan Carlson's going to have to start making those plays routinely, and making the coaching staff comfortable every time a ball is hit to center field. And I, I don't think he's done that yet. Yeah, and I, I think for him, it's be great at something. You know, I and I, it could just be defense. It could be, to your point, it I could just be defense. I don't have a problem with them having a defense first center fielder and shortstop because your offense first basically everywhere else in yeah. your lineup. You can get by with two guys that are in there for exactly. defense. Exactly. And, and maybe it's not even great, but it's like really good. Like, what is the one thing that I look at Dylan Carlson right now and I say he is really good at? Maybe maybe against left-handed pitching. I, I'd hear that argument that he's pretty good against lefties in the when he's in the right-handed batter's box. Outside of that, though, like if he's not in a corner, I don't think he's good defensively. I think he's average in center field, as proven just recently. Um, he's not good against right-handed pitching, so he's not a bat-first guy. But then when I look at Victor Scott and I say, okay, what is Victor Scott at? What is he great at right now? Oh, a lot. It's defense, and it is stealing bases. Speed. And, and, like, that's and throwing. A, and it's a game changer. He that's, had the hardest throw yesterday in the game, the fastest sprint speed yesterday in the game, and the hardest hit ball yesterday in a game. He hit a ball 106 miles per hour. That's elite. He had a, a 30 feet per second sprint speed. For those that don't check out the sprint speeds all the time, that's more than fine. That is like Ronald Acuna Jr. stuff. That is elite-level sprint speed. And he had the hardest throw in the game, which was 90 miles per hour. That's pretty damn good. It's not elite, but it's a really good throw from, from center field. That's what you're getting from Victor Scott. It's really hard to ignore the tools. I'm, I think the best thing for Victor Scott's development is to go down to AAA. And if Tommy Edmond is healthy on opening day, that should be the plan, and I believe will be the plan. But if Edmond is not ready to go, and Carlson has a few more plays like this in center field and doesn't show a ton, like you said, uh, T-Bone, uh, offensively, Man, if I'm the coaching staff, I've got to at least consider this guy. I've got to look into the possibility of, are we best with this version of Victor Scott? No, he's not a fully foreign player, but however long it is that Edmonds on the IL, maybe this guy is just our, our center fielder and we say, hey, go out there, play great defense. We'll figure out the rest. We have seven guys at the top of our order that we think can make up for a lack of offense from you and Mason Wynn. Go out there, provide a spark, provide energy, be great defensively. Let's see what it looks like. And if I said that, let's just say Tommy Evan misses the first, I'll put it at like two weeks of the season. Right now, who do you think could be a bigger, a big, provide a bigger impact on the game in center field if they're in the lineup every day for two weeks? Dylan Carlson or Victor Scott? Just in a two-week sample size. So my, my, my true answer is I don't know. But what would I lean towards? I think the guy that has a higher upside is 
Victor Scott. I think the guy that has the higher floor is Dylan Carlson. But go bigger picture there. Not just defensively. Who's impacting the game more? Because I would argue if Victor Scott gets on base, he's impacting the game with his speed. And that's the question, though, is like, is he going to get on base enough? Another piece of this is apparently Victor Scott is a really good bunter. And I know that sounds silly for me to say, like, Mag Sierra, he's going to go out there and he's not he's not bunting to move runners over. He's bunting potentially for base hits. It's not a skill that I like to bet on long term. But when you have his kind of sprint speed, it, it is something that's at least a piece of the puzzle. If he does that to a degree where he's able to steal a hit a week, man, that's meaningful with his speed on the bases. And maybe in that one game, he gets on first, he steals second, you move him over with uh, a single to right or a a hit to the right field as a sack fly, and then boom, he's on third base, one out. Ball never really went out of the infield with any sort of power. Like That is meaningful, and and it could change the course of one of those games. And and I would say this, that if Scott did get the job coming out of spring training – I don't even think it's necessarily like, hey, you're just a two-week guy. I think it is, hey, take this job and run with it. Yep. Because I, I think I think there is one thing that – if Carlson ends up holding on to this job and is the starting center fielder come opening day, I don't think there's a scenario in which Dylan Carlson's the center fielder the moment Tommy Evan is ready to go. Agreed. I think there's still a poten- potential, and I think it's a small chance, but I think there's a chance that Victor Scott could totally wally-pip Tommy Edmond and just hold on to that job, and they've got Tommy Edmond as another – like Swiss Army knife serving in the same role as Brendan Donovan. And I said this yesterday with Alex. I think that's the best case scenario for Edmund. I think on a true contender, Edmund is that Swiss Army knife. He can yeah. play second, he can play short, he can play center for you. Wherever you need him to play up the middle on any given day, that's where he plays. And I think for a really good team, like if he was on the Dodgers in a best case scenario, that's probably what his role is going to be. For the Astros, that's probably what his role is going to be. And I think eventually that will be his role, potentially even this season for the Cardinals. You just got to get there. You got to get to a place where you're comfortable with Victor Scott. I I don't want to get out over my skis with Scott because I think they kind of did that last year with Walker where they got him in, he was ready to go, and man, did he have an impressive spring. And you're like, oh, how could you not take this guy into opening day with you? We all felt it. And the Cardinals felt it. And then they rode that momentum in the early start of the season. And I think it probably would have been better for him, for the Cardinals, for, for Walker to start the year in AAA because I think he needed a little bit more oomph ready to go for him they needed to work on his exit velo they needed to work more specifically on him not getting hitting the ball on the ground as much and that ended up coming back to haunt them with the two-week stretch that he had in triple a last year don't make the same mistake with victor scott but man i am hard pressed not to do it he makes me so excited watching him dude it's hard not to dream about what that could be in center field for you he's so freaking exciting to watch yeah, and see i don't think they got it wrong with walker I, I thought they did it. I thought they did it right, and I thought they could have even worked on it at the big league level to help them get right. So I thought they made the mistake in sending Walker down. I, I thought that they should have sent Carlson down when they did it last year. So if Scott proves he can do it in spring, I am ready to put him on the big league roster. Interesting. I. It's going to be one of the toughest decisions that they've had to make in recent years with a prospect, because you're hoping he can be for you what like Michael Harris was for the Braves. You're hoping he can be for you energy wise. What we saw from Ellie De La Cruz with the Reds. I'm not comparing them as prospects. They're very different players, but remember how it felt. I think T-Bone, you were at the Reds game with me, right? Where Ellie De La Cruz basically Uh won that game for them. Like, could, could you get one of those out of Victor Scott early in the season? And if so, man, that matters. You heard what Joey Votto was talking about when he was talking about those young players that were able to come up and make such an impact on that Reds team. Now, it didn't result in them going to the playoffs last year, but there was a different feel 
for the Cincinnati Reds when he had all of those young plies, young guys playing with so much energy. Could you get that out of Walker and Wynn and Victor Scott this year? I think that should be the goal Well, if this is the route that you go. Arnado and Goldie, they're not fans of the young guys. so uh, Yeah, that's why Brandon Crawford's here. Yeah. Got to have more friends more of those around. old dudes. Yeah. Who's an old center fielder we could bring back? Here's Ball game looks like he's in shape. He could <laughs> Coming play. up next, the juncture here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. story that we talked about yesterday alex wendy's is pushing back t-bone to fill you in and to fill in any of the audience members that are listening right now that were not listening yesterday in the junk drawer wendy's according to reports was going to spend 20 to 30 million dollars to update their menus to have dynamic pricing which is similar to what the cardinals do with their pricing for baseball games when a good team comes in you pay more for tickets when the royals come in you pay a little bit less The Wendy's around the area and across the country, frankly, were going, according to reports, to do something similar with their pricing when it is their peak hours. So if it's super busy, the menu items a little bit more expensive, not anything outrageous. But, you know, if it was five bucks, maybe it's five fifty now. So that's what it would be across the land. And when it's not busy at all, it'd be a little cheaper for you. So just dynamic pricing. I hate that. Alex this did might it. surprise you. BK loved the idea of it. I didn't love the idea. I don't have a problem with it, though. I'm not going to not go to Wendy's because of something like that. I am definitely in the though. minority <laughs> because today, according to the Associated Press, quote, Wendy says that it has no plans to increase pricing during the busiest <laughs> times at its restaurants. The burger chain is clarifying its stance on how it's going to approach pricing after media picked up on comments by CEO Kirk Tanner that the company would test features like dynamic pricings at restaurants. Companies like Uber have used this in the past where prices will rise and fall depending on the demand. This month, during a conference call with investors, Tanner said that, quote, beginning as early as 2025, we'll begin testing more enhanced features such as dynamic pricing and day part offerings, along with AI-enabled menu changes and suggestive selling. Wendy's, Wendy's Which is obviously not suggesting that there's going to be dynamic pricing, even though he specifically said there would be. Wendy's saw that Uber was like making a killing with the dynamic processing when it was a lot more busy. And they're like, oh, man, we need to do this. What they forgot to understand was there are a lot of drunk people that when they're using Uber and the price goes up because it's busy at a concert or a sporting event, they're like, extra $20. Sure. Why not? That is 100% what, I what I'm not doing. <laughs> that is exactly what I do. Is sitting in a Wendy's line, and to BK's um, explanation of it, with my children yelling in the back seat, what I'm not doing is saying, oh, I'm going to wait here for an extra 15 more minutes as the price increases. No, I'm going to veer out of that. So Uber, Uber, it works. Fast food, not so much. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I like the idea of fast food places having dynamic pricing. I want to know, like, what it is, and that's what it's going to be for 24 hours, rather than, like, you know, when everybody goes to eat, it's more expensive. So 
I don't know. I, the, clear, clearly, there was pushback. Yeah, yeah Wendy's was like, "This is a bad idea." This kind of a thing so quickly within 24 hours. Yeah. We talked about this yesterday during the junk drawer, and by this morning at 10 o'clock, yeah, they had clarified this, put out a statement saying, "Hey, that is not what we are doing," even though that is very clearly what they were doing. It was a trial balloon. They put it out there. They wanted to see what the reaction would be. They found that everybody was like, "Yo, we are not paying the extra 50 percent or 50 cents for my frosty." Yeah. Not doing it, even and, though people would. And Darren from Corporate Sales, who brought this idea to the table, is now fired. Because yeah, hey, somebody's definitely going down. Hey, Darren, that's a great idea. Yeah. Let's try it. 24 hours later, you son of a, this is a terrible idea. I, I want to know who the fall guy is. Darren. I want to know who gets blamed. It's, I do it's think so this Darren. is something we will see within the next decade. I think a lot of restaurants will go to something like this, where it is quote-unquote dynamic pricing. Well, then I will dynamically head home to make myself a cheese yeah, sandwich. He's Alex, to the that's man. T-Bone on BK. <laughs> Coming up at 1.30, we'll talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, live from Edmonton, where the Blues are taking on the Oilers later on tonight. What did he make of the Blues' performance last night? What has he made of their performance in their last seven games, in which they are 2-5? and five? We'll get into that with Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, at 1.30. But next... Are the Cardinals overdoing it a bit with the veterans coming off of the bench? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Cardinals have made it official. Brandon Crawford is a member of the team and we lost Buddy Kennedy. Gonna miss him. Buddy Kennedy was. Uh, did he have an at bat in spring training? Yeah, I saw him once. Oh, okay, good. I think. Well, I don't know what he did. How'd that go? I don't know. Clearly, it wasn't memorable. As a result of the move, <laughs> the Cardinals now have a bench, likely for opening day, that will include Matt Carpenter, Yvonne Herrera, Brandon Crawford, and then one of Dylan Carlson or Brendan Donovan, depending on what happens with the Tommy Edmonds situation. Alex. Two of those four spots are guys that are 35-plus and don't really have value coming off of your bench. The other guy is a catcher who will not be used in any scenario other than if he's, you know, catching. And then you've got an outfielder, potentially, with either Donovan or Carlson. So there is your one actual utility player that can help you as a pinch hitter, pinch runner, potentially in the case of Dylan Carlson, etc., is this a problem for the Cardinals? Do you view this as an issue that they are putting so much of their bench's value into guys that are here as essentially placeholders? They, they're leadership guys and true backups in every sense of the word. No, not if you stay healthy. I think if you stay healthy, you're fine I, I, because you're not using this bench very much throughout the game for how many players that you have. And I mean, when you talk depth charts, Matt Carpenter and Brandon Crawford are at the very, very bottom of when they're having to be used. Of course, you signed Brandon Crawford to fill in for Mason Wynn at times until everybody's back to full health. And Matt Carpenter is there to basically pump up the entire roster. So your go-tos off of the bench are going to be that Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman. It's going to be Von Herrera. And you're going to be using the Gormans, the the Newpars, the Walkers, the the, the Tommy Edmonds, like you've got a roster where you don't have to worry about your bench. Injuries take place and you're relying on Matt Carpenter to be filling in at first base for a long period of time. Brandon Crawford at shortstop. That's when it starts to become a problem. I, I'm i not sure it's a problem early on in the year, but I think where it gets 
to be a problem is once Edmonds is ready to come back. And if he is ready opening day, then yeah, I guess it is a problem because I think now you got two roster spots that are clogged up by veterans that, if I'm being just totally honest with you, I'm not sure they can play still. I don't think Marps bat can, can play at the major league level. Crawford can't play shortstop at his age, I don't think, anymore, and I'm not even sure about his bat. Cardinals are telling you it was health-related, and I hope when they mean that, they mean age-related as well. Um, I think the problem where it comes is, though, yes, it is the bench, and you don't need those guys to play like starting-caliber players, you do need some production from them, from them because it can allow you to get better matchups late into games. When you think about what the Cardinals were able to do so well in 2022, they could go to... Corey Dickerson when he was playing well against a right-hander to come off the bench. They could go to an Albert Pujols off the bench against a good left-handed pitcher. Now this bench is not much of a threat at all. It's all just about leadership. And like the one guy I thought maybe could help them like late in the game, say Tommy Edmonds' spot comes up or Carlson's spot comes up and you got a filthy right-hander on the mound, and we know those two struggle against right-handed pitching, boom, I got Alec Burleson ready to go. Well, the way things seem to be trending, I'm not sure Burley's here once Tommy Edmond is healthy. And if that's the case, I have to now weigh my options of Tommy Edmond, who is below league average against righties with Marp and Crawford. Like, that's not, that's not, you just made yourself worse, in my opinion. So I think it is a problem. I think they have gone too far in on leadership for this team. So I I am concerned about the way it is operating. And look, maybe Crawford's here just for a month and then they're going to DFA him and have Burley in his spot. But that's what I think. That's bad morale for a clubhouse when you get rid of Nolan Arenado's buddy. Yeah, I I think that's what happens, though, because I think when Edmund is truly healthy, he's your backup at shortstop again and he's your starter in center field. Now, I don't know that I love that way of going about it roster manipulation wise, but I think that's probably what they end up doing. Um, or if Crawford's been great, maybe then you just have him as a pinch hitting option and he's in that Burleson role that we were talking about. Or if Carlson has been great, or excuse me, um, Carpenter has been great. He could be that guy as a left-handed bat. I'd be surprised by it, but maybe we'll see. There's time still to find out. I, I don't have an issue with this. Here's part of why. One, you're not ever pinch hitting in any situation for Newport, Donovan, Goldie, Arenado, Contreras, Walker, Gorman. There was no pinch hitter that was going to be available for you that was going to be a better option, again, in any scenario than those players that I just mentioned. So the guys that we're talking about are two players in your lineup on any given day between Edmund, Wynn, Carlson, and Scott, depending on what happens with those players as they're playing most likely in center field plus shortstop, right? I don't feel like I need a pinch hitter for those guys in the vast majority of situations. Would I like to have somebody available for Mason Wynn? I think that's fair. Maybe at the end of a game, uh, you're going up against a tough right-handed pitcher. Would you rather have Burleson in that spot to be able to move down Tommy Edmond to shortstop? Sure. I I could see how you could get yourself to that place, but I don't think it's so important that you need to have a guy on the roster to do that. And I still think you could do some of that stuff with either if you really needed to, uh, either Carpenter or um, Brandon Crawford. So that's part of it. The other thing is, and when you have fewer options on your bench, you know what it allows you to do? It allows you to play the same guys every day. And for the entirety of last season, I didn't view this as a huge issue, but many in our audience did. A consistent text that we receive. I know the fast lane was really big on this last year. You got to have an everyday lineup. Set it and forget it. Seven or eight dudes, just play them every day. Let them play the same positions. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to play the same dudes every day. Probably pretty similar spots in the lineup, regardless of who's on the mound on a day-in, day-out basis. Because you don't have options. You're not putting Dylan Carlson in over the vast majority of these options. You're not going to... 
Brandon Crawford, who said yesterday, I'm here to mentor Mason Wynn. I am exclusively a backup shortstop. I know what my role is. Matt Carpenter knows what his role is. They're not going to be expecting more playing time. They're not going to feel like we've got to go to these young guys on the bench because we can't allow them to just sit there while they're not getting any playing time. No, Crawford's probably going to play once a week. Matt Carpenter might play once a week. So I actually think that you can make a case. This ends up being a good thing for the Cardinals in a roundabout That's way. That's what I thought with Taylor Motter, that we'd only see him a, f- a couple of times. And look that how many a, times we see him. A lot of that was due to injury, though. Well, that's no. my concern, though, that you're going to have more injuries pop up and they go to Crawford and Carpenter before they go to Thomas Ajayi or Victor Scott and give those guys Fair opportunities. Concern. And my concern, too, about it is, so I understand what you're saying. I think, though, this year I thought they were coming in with a mindset of, like, I think the issue last year was they thought Carlson, Carlson was still a starting caliber outfielder. And I think this year they came to the conclusion he's not. They knew Alec Burleson. His future was a bench bat. Okay, so then they're still, even if those two guys were on the bench without Crawford, without Marp, and he had Herrera and whoever else I might be forgetting, heck, throw Marp on on the bench. You didn't have the concern of, okay, well, we got to get those guys playing time because I think you all knew what their you knew what their ceiling was, and it was bench guys. They are Carlson, fourth outfielder, Burley, the first bat off the bench as a left-handed hitter. My fear now is, though, sure, in theory, I think you're probably right that they're probably running through the scenario of, okay, Crawford's like a rental, a $2 million rental. Yeah. But He's we've seen what the— we've seen, class in case of emergency. Yeah, but I feel like we've seen with the Cardinals before, like, the moves that they should be making where it is, okay, it's time to give up on this, it's time to give up on this, and they don't do it. And the ones I think of now, granted, they worked. Like, I think of Corey Dickerson. Remember his start here in yeah. St. Louis? It was, why is he still on this team? Jordan Hicks as a reliever last year. Like, it took a long time, and I thought it was past time for them to say it's time to give up. Now, those worked, but my fear is they're going to keep trying that, going, okay, Crawford still got it, Crawford still got it, even though he's not hitting, Marp the same way. And then the next thing you know, you're like two months in, you're going, okay, why are we not seeing Alec Burleson? And that that's my concern is, though, in theory, it is easy for them to just cut bait with it and move on. Have the Cardinals done that before? Like outside since Greg Holland, I don't remember one where it is like yeah. a one-year deal that they just quickly are willing to cut and bait. You're not on. cutting bait on Matt Carpenter. Uh, I mean, the, you signed him for the one reason and one reason only to be yeah. here from start to finish. And uh, as much as I would like to think that they would cut point. cut Brandon Crawford, are they? Like, I, I mean, well, the other thing is like the likelihood somebody's going to get hurt. Sure, so but like, then you're to the point to where you're fair, relying like, on these guys. We were saying that about the Blues. I remember saying that about the Blues this year, to where it was, man, they've got eight defensemen. How are they going to figure this out? And it was always, oh, somebody gets hurt. Yeah, somebody gets hurt. And nobody did. Nobody and Matt Kessel's hurt. sent down. Yeah, and, and like, though, yes, I, though I do agree with that concept of sure, somebody is going to get hurt. Okay, but if somebody doesn't, now we've got an issue to where I feel I, like the, I think the, the Cardinals right now what's are playing with a 24 man roster. And I felt that with the Marp signing that it was, okay, well, now we're playing 25 because we have to have a hoorah guy in the locker room. But that's, well, now you get two that of a, them. Isn't that what every team does for the most part? Like, who, when you have a designated hitter, I feel like some of what we're talking about here is, like, trying to play old-school National League baseball. When you have the designated hitter, and especially when you have a lineup that is as set as the Cardinals do going into the season— there isn't the same value for pinch runners. I, there isn't the same value for pinch hitters. But I like, feel like those competitive teams have have like significantly different options off of the bench where you got at least one guy that you trust that can come up with the big play, big hit for you. If something happens, he's there. And you're talking about in pinch hitting situations. Pinch right? hitting situations or if injury pops up, you can rely on that guy to, to fill that void. I don't think the Cardinals have one of those guys on their bench. I think they've got two guys that if you have to rely on them for a long p- portion of your season – you're in trouble. And, and I think the the issue that I have with it is, though, yes, I agree, like, the pinch hitting aspect of it is, for the most part, gone. Like like you said, the Cardinals have two spots in their lineup that we're talking about pinch hitting for. But typically, when I look at a bench, I can go like, okay, this guy's role is defined by this. 
And it's like, okay, like Jose, Jose Siri, for example, who's now in Tampa Bay, but I remember when he started with, I think it was Houston. He was off the bench as what? A defensive replacement. Sure. Now, the Cardinals probably don't need one of those guys, but there's not a defined role for, like, what is Matt Carpenter? Because he's not really a threat off the bench if you need to pinch in. He's not going to be playing anywhere defensively. And I would say that the, the same argument for Brandon Crawford. Now, he has a position he can play. I'm not sure he's very good at it at shortstop anymore. It's not like 2014 like the Cardinals are building for, apparently. That would be my only kind of counter to that, as I could point to, like, if they had Burleson, it was, man, that's a guy that I can hope can be a threat off my bench as a left-handed bat, and he's young and can develop still. So last year, Phillies, Houston, Atlanta, Texas, they were all within the bottom six in terms of plate appearances by pinch hitters a year ago. Phillies, Houston, Atlanta, Texas, I would say for a lot of people, those were considered to be four of, if not the best, not of the very best, like four of the six best teams in Major League Baseball a year ago. Every single one of them had 90 or fewer plate appearances by pinch hitters. And when they had those appearances, they hit 228, 225, 195, and 180. Pinch hitting has just become such a, and I would imagine a lot of those was like late replacements where they're getting veterans off their feet because a game went, what got out of hand. So much of what the game has become, and this is for better or worse, I can understand if you think that this is something that is actually missing within the game right now, and it's unfortunate that it's gone away. It's just about, do you have nine dudes in your lineup every day that can go out there and be the starter and finish the game? And if you do, you're going to be a pretty good team. And if you don't, you're going to be a team that's lacking and you're going to be wanting more. For me, I I think every team has a guy in the Taylor Motter role. And that role is supposed to be, to your point, Alex, they never play. They're there to be cheerleaders, essentially. They're there to be guys that are really good in the clubhouse. And maybe they play once every couple of weeks. And there's nothing wrong with that because those are guys that are just there. And you're not wasting a roster spot with one of your young guys that you feel like you need to get at bats regularly. It's just a guy that's there on a scholarship, essentially. That's Matt Carpenter this year. I think a lot of teams have one guy that is just a, hey, he's really good defensively. And if we needed to use him for a week, he'll go out there and get playing time. For the Cardinals that this year, that is Brandon Crawford. Now, if you look at some metrics, he wasn't good last year defensively. If you look at others, he was elite. So... Based on the eye test, I talked to a guy yesterday that was uh, that covered the Giants a year ago, said he was really good defensively still last year, despite some of the injuries that he played through. So I, I'm not super worried about that one either. It really comes down to what do you think of Dylan Carlson? And is that role like one of the things that we're going to have to eventually have the conversation about is, are you better served with that role going to Alec Burleson? I think that's a real conversation to be had. Like if you don't have, if you end up with Tommy Edmond as your starting center fielder, Victor Scott is not here. And you're looking at this bench. Are you better off with that role going to Dylan Carlson or to Alec Burleson? It may sound crazy, but the better bat might end up being Alec Burleson. And there may come a point in time where you say, well, the guys that we would potentially pinch hit for are Edmund and Wynn. I don't need Tommy or I don't need Dylan Carlson to pinch hit for either of those guys. If I'm going to do it, I want a lefty bat that's in that spot. And that's where you could get to get yourself to a situation where you end up with Alec Burleson on the roster over Dylan Carlson, who does end up having options for you this season. So I think that roster spot is more interesting to me than the other two that we, that we're probably going to spend a decent amount of time talking about. To that point, real quick, I think the problem is, is they've kind of pinned themselves in a corner to where they can't have both on the roster to where that's you could have Carlson as Burleson is the pinch hitter that comes in. And then he doesn't play defense. You then replace Edmund, for example, with Carlson because you don't have Carlson on the roster. Who's the backup center fielder? 
like I guess you would say Newt Bar, but like I don't know if you feel great about Newt Bar. I, mean, being I don't feel there. a whole lot different, honestly, between Newt Bar and Carlson in center. Fair. I, I think the Cardinals have made it clear that they think Carlson is a step above Newt Bar defensively in center field. But the bat is so much better by Newt Bar that I think it offsets. I, I wouldn't have a problem if I don't love it. I would prefer to have Edmund, but if you're doing something like this, it's because the game's on the line and you really need that at bat. And in such a scenario, I would be fine with them going out there with Newt Bar in center. You're, you're worse defensively, objectively, because now I've got um, probably either Brendan Donovan or uh, Alec Burleson in left field, neither of which is as good as having Tommy Edmund and Lars Newt Bar in center yep. field, you know. So um, it's an interesting discussion, though. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We'll talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues. But next, you give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely and more likely to happen. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. And the YouTube chat is off and running over in the graveyard at youtube.com slash 101 ESPNSTL. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. All right, boys, more likely to happen. We see Jaden Daniels, the quarterback out of LSU, go number two overall in this year's NFL draft. Or we see J.J. McCarthy go in the top five of this year's NFL draft. J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback out of Michigan. Which one is more likely? J.J. McCarthy, top five. Jaden Daniels, number two. I would say it's Jaden Daniels, top two. Um, I don't see McCarthy going in, in the top five. I mean, if you're New England, do you want to go down that path? I would say it's more likely Daniels gets selected by New England than a McCarthy. Arizona's not doing that. and I guess you're talking Chargers there, but Man, that is not a good way to start off your tenure in L.A. if you're Jim Harbaugh. Trade up. Oh, you mean somebody trading up? Mm-hmm. Maybe, but I, I just don't see McCarthy as a top five quarterback. I I would go Daniels. I don't blame you. I, I don't think many do. Apparently the NFL might, but I don't think many on the outside looking in do. I, I'm with Alex. I, I would say it's more likely that you see Jane Daniels go too because I, I could totally see where Washington talks themselves into it because – it's a matter of weighing which one do you think has a higher ceiling and what is the like middle ground of them? Because we talked about this, I guess, last Friday when I was on the show of Jane Daniels can be like Lamar and then like his downsides, what kind of Justin Fields like yep. compared to like Drake May, the ceiling is Justin Herbert. Well, you know who I haven't seen win two MVPs, <laughs> Justin Herbert. So I, I just don't see McCarthy because he's the guy that feels like he needs a year to wait. I think McCarthy, if he gets drafted in the first round, it's kind of in that Denver area where it's like borderline top 15 or he falls out of it. So I think the concern for teams might be, hey, what if the Giants or the Titans fall in love with J.J. McCarthy? Either of them could take him and then the Falcons could take him at eight as well. So you're looking at six, seven, eight, three teams that are potentially in play to take J.J. McCarthy. If I'm a team like the Minnesota Vikings, the Denver Broncos, the Las Vegas Raiders, the uh, see here, Seattle Seahawks, potentially maybe Pittsburgh. I might have to try to find a way to work up into the top five to be able to get him because I don't know that the Giants, Titans or uh, Falcons are going to be trading down. I don't know that those teams wants to move away from drafting the quarterback that they believe could succeed the player that they have currently in place. So I'm saying JJ McCarthy going top five, man. I think we are going to end up getting four of the top five picks as quarterbacks 
with Drake May, Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, and J.J. McCarthy all going in the top five this year. I think it's crazy. I would absolutely not do that, but I think it's something that the NFL ends up doing. All right, guys, more likely to happen in this hypothetical scenario I'm posing to you. Both teams are eliminated in the first round of the playoffs this year. More likely to happen. Toronto trades Mitch Marner or Ed, or Vancouver trades Elias Pettersson. Pettersson. I, I, the report that I heard out of Vancouver this week from one of their reporters locally was that they are they, they have an unwilling participant on the other side. Vancouver is offering like $12 million a year. And Pedersen is saying, I'm not interested in talking contracts, much less terms on a contract. Maybe that's just because he doesn't want to do it in season. Most players, I think, when they're hearing that kind of money, change that opinion on it. I think Pedersen ends up elsewhere. I, I don't think he's going to stay in Vancouver, and I think that means he ends up uh, getting traded this offseason. I don't think it's here, but I think he gets traded. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go Pedersen, too, because if he doesn't want to talk contract, uh, odds are it's more likely he doesn't want to be in Vancouver. And look, I've heard it's beautiful around Christmas time. Right about now, it's probably freaking cold and you're ready for spring. So I can't blame him. I, I would say it's probably Pedersen for me. Yeah, it's it's Pedersen um, because the conversations are already starting. And I think if you're Vancouver, you have to think of what to do because he's an RFA. Mitch Marner one's interesting, though, because if they get bounced in the first round again, they already have right now 37 million dollars tied up in their top four with matthews Tavares, marner and nylander now with nylander's contract extension and when Tavares comes off of the books and let's say marner is going to get somewhere between 12 and 13 million dollars a year that's 38 million dollars tied up into three players so toronto if they get bounced in the first round they're going to be another dangerous one but petterson's more likely guys more likely to not be on the Cardinals post-trade deadline. Alec Burleson or Dylan Carlson? Alec Burleson. Burleson. I think that I think the the trade value for Alec Burleson is going to be better than I think Dylan Carlson by the post-trade deadline is going to be a a fifth outfielder and a bench bat that you rarely see. I think the Cardinals are showing you that the writing is on the wall for Alec Burleson. I still like Alec Burleson. I think that he's going to have value. I believe that he's the kind of guy that could go on elsewhere to hit 280 with 15 to 20 home runs and Cardinals fans look at it and say to themselves, uh, why did we trade that guy? But I think he is much more likely to be dealt at the deadline. I also think he's the kind of piece that could get you something of meaning. Like you could get a really nice reliever if you're willing to dangle Alec Burleson in trades. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I think and imagine what they might be able to get in a package with Burleson and Sejaci. You know, Sejaci making headlines last year by getting hot. They don't really have a spot for Thomas Sejaci. He's a middle infielder. Where are they going to put him? Well, okay, if you say we like the pieces we have at the major league level and Alec Burleson's fallen out of favor, there's no role for him. You've got Burley, a former top 100 prospect. Thomas Sejaci, who's a pretty high-level prospect as well. you got two major pieces, and then you throw in one more, you could really get something that is of significant value. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two scenarios, we'll tell you which one is more likely. We'll talk to uh, Chris Kerber coming up here in just a couple of minutes. We'll do these rapid-fire style. Alex, more likely the Blues draft top 10 again, or they trade Jordan Cairo before the start of next season. I'll say it's more likely they draft a top 10. Although I think the Cairo thing can happen, there will probably be a lot more uh, scenarios you have to work through, but the top 10 is very likely. Uh, I'll go. Oh man, that's tough. I, I'll go 
top 10, even though I kind of agree that Cairo could be dealt as well. Sweep it. We're all on the same page there. More likely to happen. Mason Wynn wins rookie of the year this season or... Jordan Walker hits at least 35 home runs for the Cardinals. Walker hits 35 home runs. I don't think Mason wins. I don't think he gets a, uh, an MVP conversation. I, I don't think he's in the rookie of the year. Or rookie of the year, sorry. I, I don't know if he's in rookie of the year conversation. I'm not sure the battle will be there. I can see where Walker can be a 35 home run guy. I'm going Walker 35 home runs. Because I think that would be a hell of a lot of fun. And have you seen him? Have you seen him Tank. this spring? The guy is huge i think there's still a little bit of time before he really finds that kind of power but be interested to see what it looks like coming up next chris kerber the voice of the blues he's going to tell us about the changes to the blues lineup heading into tonight's game and what does he make of the blues recent two and five stretch we'll talk about it next year on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Time for Curbside with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite Contractor. The Athletic was able to speak to the general manager of the Ottawa Senators to clear up some of the conversations that have taken place around his team. Ryan Whitney, if you missed it, uh, tweeted over the weekend, the Senators might be willing to move Brady Kachuk. His response to that, ah, yeah, that could not be further from the truth. He then continued on with a long winding answer, but essentially deny, deny, deny. He then was asked about teams calling about Jacob Chikrin, their uh, defenseman that they traded uh, from Arizona last year, and said, quote, if I'm on the other side of things looking at our team, he would be a player that I would be calling about as well, end quote. Slightly different answers on the two conversations about Brady Kachuk versus Jacob Chikrin. So my guess is Jacob Chikrin is absolutely available at the trade deadline. With that in the back of our mind, though, the deadline on the horizon and the Blues 2-5 and five in their last seven games. We are talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on BK and Ferrario. Curbs, appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Brandon, I'm well. How are you today? Uh, we're doing all right. So, Curbs, I wanted to ask you about what your biggest takeaway was from last night's performance. Obviously, not what the Blues were looking for, but what did you? How did you assess that game? Well, you know what? Uh, I thought obviously it was a much better game than the Saturday game against Detroit. Than a the more, but yes, uh, yes, exactly. And I was going to add to that, and, and as well, the Saturday game a week before against Nashville. Um, I thought there were a lot of real good positives in that game. Uh, the only difference was it's the same when the blues are losing, it's they're losing for the same reasons. Now it's different players from time to time, but they're losing for the same reasons. And it has not changed since the beginning of the year. Uh, they're losing because of, uh, some lapses in defensive zone coverage. They're losing because of poor decisions at the blue lines. And, and that is you can really look at a lot of it. When you give up the number of grade-A scoring chances that the Blues are giving up, it's happening because you're turning the puck over at times when your teammates aren't expecting a turnover. Now, that's going to happen from time to time. You get it. That is part of the game. It's a fast game. It's a game of errors. But when you have Kasperi Kapanen bringing the puck over the blue line and you've got Brandon Saad and the teammates expecting that puck to go deep so they can, and they've got speed through the neutral zone. It, it couldn't be drawn up any better. 
instead of dumping it down to the corner where you go get it and you put the pressure on 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 Winnipeg, he tries to pass it to a covered Brandon Saad that's poked away at the blue line. Well, everybody was going one way. The other team comes the other way, and the puck ends up in the back of your net. Pavel Butchnevich trying to clear the zone instead of going to the boards looks to Robbie or, or looks to uh, Jordan Cairo right in the middle of the ice. He's covered. Puck gets knocked away. The pass misses him. Boom in the back of your net. Two key plays that really cost you the hockey game last night. And uh, and it, it's up to the play. I mean, the coaching staff can harp all they want. They can scratch guys. Casperi Kapanen is going to be scratched today. They can bench guys. It doesn't matter if the players on the ice don't execute in that situation. So that I think that that's really just the key takeaway for the Blues uh, for for me right now is just clean up the 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 the, the gray areas and and don't make those mistakes at the blue line to give yourself a fighting chance. So the other roster decision by Drew Bannister curves was sitting Scott Perunovich and uh, putting Tyler Tucker. And what did you make of that? Look, I, I, Kapanen and Perunovich both struggled yesterday. Uh, is, you know, Drew Bannister is, is, and he's not shy about saying it. I mean, he, he may not have the, you know, that, that overpowering physique of Craig Berube. He may not have that NHL resume of fighting any and all comers, although he did do a decent amount on his own right, right? Uh, like Craig Berube. And he may not have some of that, that, that you know, the, the bravado in his voice. He's saying the same thing, though, guys. He's like, you don't play well enough, I'm going to sit you. He goes, you know, it, it, that, that's, that's the way this is going to go. If, if you're not doing what we need you to do, you can't be in the lineup right now. I mean, so it, it's what I make of it is really the fact that, you know, that they need more out of uh, Perunovic defensively. They need more out of Kasperi Kapanen all over the ice and aren't getting it, so you're putting in some other options. Now the question is, and this has been the question for some of these guys throughout the year, does Nikita Alexandrov see this and take advantage of it, or what does he do? The same thing with Tyler Tucker. Now having said that, Guys, this is a tough game for Tyler Tucker to pop into after having sat as long as he has. So he's ready. He's going to be excited, but just keep it. You know, this is the, this, this is a kiss game for uh, for Tyler Tucker. Keep it simple. So, you know? so, so, Curbs, just as a follow up with that, like if you're Doug Armstrong and he talked about accountability when Craig Berube was fired and how he was going to be watching this team, talking about the compete level, if you're seeing that still kind of in this team's culture in the second half with a new head coach, your last straw has to be looking at the roster and finding a change, correct? Well, they're making the decisions probably very easy on Doug Armstrong, aren't they? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, they, they, they really are. It, it, this would be a different scenario, even if you had just won a couple of these games and maybe you're two points up on Nashville, you know, going into your final 24 games. But in the stretch of the five games that you've played since playing the Nashville Predators and a chance to make it a six-point lead, you now find yourself in a six-point deficit. That's a 12-point swing. Nashville won, has won four in a row. They needed the Blues to do exactly what the Blues have done, and it has been a perfect storm for the Nashville Predators. Uh, you know, so if, if you're Doug Armstrong... When you had your meetings a couple of weeks ago and you're like, okay, well, we're in this, you know, what do we do with a Marco Scandella? What do we do with, you know, unrestricted free agents? You know, if somebody calls, you know, initially you might be saying, well, you're right in the thick of it. Uh, I'm not sure we're giving somebody up for a fourth round pick or maybe a third or a fourth, a fifth round pick. Uh, having said that, 
this will get even more clear her over the next three or four games, and now you might go ahead and change your tune on that. So to me, much like Drew Bannister said in his press conference today, guys, that it's the coaches don't dictate ice time. Players dictate ice time, and I, I agree when a head coach says that. Uh, I think it's the same thing when it comes to uh, whatever Doug Armstrong does. The players in that locker room are going to dictate that. So what Doug Armstrong real quickly is looking for is how did Pavel Butchnevich respond when Drew Bannister benched him in, in Tampa? How did Kyra respond? How did Robert Thomas respond? How does Kapanen respond? How do guys respond? What do they say? You know, I got to think that if you're Doug Armstrong, you loved what you you heard from Thomas and Butchnevich. You said, no, I got to be better. Whether you agree or not or whatever, you own it and you lead your team. And, and so – I think that's those are things that Doug Armstrong's going to be looking for, but they keep going like this, and they're making his decisions very easy. By the way, just to respond to that real quick, I did see yesterday before the game, Robert Thomas was made himself available to the media and said, I have to be better. It starts with me. I want to give a lot of credit to him for doing so. I, I got on it a little bit a couple of days ago about how he, he wasn't available after morning skate. I, I thought that was a spot where Jordan Cairo made himself available. I, I thought Robert Thomas should as well. He did so yesterday, so good for him uh, for making sure that he was available to answer any of those questions from the media that was there uh, on the road trip. Final question that I've yeah, got. Brandon, let, let me add uh, real, real quick. Let me, let me add to that. I, I was thinking about that this morning, right? And I, I know, I know, I don't know how, I'm not sure how the general fan thinks of this. Okay. Or, or how you guys, you know, maybe, maybe you guys can weigh in on this, but I know Robert Thomas has been in the league for a while now. Okay. But you're still talking about somebody that's 24 years of age that except for his rookie year where he was kind of brought along, I mean, that, that was a bit of adversity to find yourself as a as, – and you've, you've been picking up points. You've been the Blues' best forward. That's a bit of adversity. And you know what? If it takes a 24-year-old that's not the captain but is an assistant captain an extra day or two to figure out just how to actually handle this property properly – I'm okay with it. I think I might feel a little bit differently if I was talking about a 28, 29, 30-year-old, something like that. Um, I'm, I'm okay still with him kind of growing into certain situations like this a little bit. And, and I thought in the end he did handle it, like you said, really well. Yeah, I, I, I wish he didn't take the extra day, but the fact that he was up there and, and he did, so to speak, uh, face the music, I, I respect that. And I, I think it's something yeah. that he needed to do, and I, I'm glad he did decide to go about it that way. Curbs, we'll get you out of here on this. Earlier today, um, I made Alex mad because I said, and, and I'm curious where you come out on this. During their 6-1 and one stretch, the Blues were 36% on the power play. They, if you look at the expected goals, I know people take it or leave it, but it's just one other number that you can use as a tool. They were at about 40% in terms of the expected goals for, and a big piece of it, 94% save percentage at five on five. So you have this unbelievable power play. You're getting crazy good goaltending for you as well. Shots on goal, shots against 25-4, 32 against on average. In your recent two and five stretch, your power play has gone from 36% to 19%. Your save percentage has gone from 94% to just below 90%. Expected goals is the exact same at 40% before, 40% now. Curbs, I, I'm not trying to take away from anything that they did previously or try to hype them up for what they've done lately. I'm just not sure that the actual performance at 5-on-5 five five and for this team is all that different now than it was previously. I think the biggest difference that we're seeing is that the power play isn't performing at a crazy rate, and the goaltending, while still pretty good, has gone back, come back a slight amount from being excellent to pretty good lately. 
Do you totally disagree with that? Is that a fair assessment? Where do you come out on the difference between what they were doing when they were six and one to what they have done lately when they've been two and five? No, I think uh, I don't disagree with you at all. I actually, I I think that you have uh, totally unwrapped one of the great Easter eggs of sports coverage, right? When we follow a team as closely as we follow the blues you get caught up with some of the highs and some of the lows, and every now and then you got to take a step back and look at some big pictures. You know, when the Blues won those five games in a row, including those big ones on the road, it was overtime wins against Vancouver, overtime wins against Seattle, overtime win against Los Angeles. They had allowed three goals in all of those games. You look in their last 20 games, and they've allowed three or more goals in 14 of the 20 games. But you're absolutely right. The power play was tearing it up. And basically, the power play was keeping them in games. And look what's happened now when the Blues have not scored a power play goal. In the last nine games when the Blues have not scored a power play goal, they've lost six of them. They are 1-6-0 and in their last seven games when they have not scored a power play goal. The power play could have made a difference last night. If that power play ties the game up at 2-2, with the first chance, does Edmonton or does Winnipeg play somewhat differently? Does the livelihood on the bench increase? Does the attitude change? Absolutely. All that plays a role in this. So, yeah, I think there was, and the current performance showing, probably a little bit of fool's gold, you know, in some of that success. But the question is, is, okay, can you sustain that type of winning? Now, right now they haven't. Can they get back to it? Who knows? Uh, but they're to get too bad, kind of more to your point. They are going to have right now to have really, really good goaltending because they continue to give up great a scoring chances. And I have, and I don't think Joe Hofer was great in Winnipeg. I think he'd tell you that Um, it was not one of his better games, but that's going to happen from time to time. I think he's had a good rookie season here. Uh, I, Brandon, I, I actually, I agree with you completely. The question is, is can they get a little bit more of the, the, the right play five-on-five five and continue the special team success to climb back into this thing, and that's what we have to wait and see. You just got to have a power play that hits a 30, 36%. If you can do that, Curbs, everything will be A-OK. <laughs> I appreciate the time, as always, man. Enjoy yourself up there in Edmonton. We'll see you back here soon. All right, guys. Have a great rest of the week. You got it. That's Chris Curber, voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. We'll put a bow on this thing next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. We got 30 seconds to go here. T-Bone, tell us your thoughts on City's performance last night. one nothing loss. Uh, guys, I'm kind of concerned about St. Louis City SC. The offense is not clicking so far, and now they're getting uh, depleted on their center back position. So hey. I'm a little worried. That's time. All right, uh. Alex, tonight the Blues are in Edmonton taking on the Edmonton Oilers. The big thing that you're looking for is what? I don't even know depth response probably, (laughs) but like, I I don't really know what you're looking for at this point. At this point now, I think you're looking to see if the team loses uh, to uh, re to certify that the trades are happening and going for a top 10 pick. Yeah, baby. Top 10 pick. Top Vegas, 10 pick. Vegas, Top 10 pick. Vegas. Two different chance right now. He's Alex. That's T-Bone on BK. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com 
and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tiger and Auto Centers. The one, the only Jamie Rivers is joining the fast lane today live from Edmonton in what appears to be a very gloomy hotel room. So you'll hear from him coming up from two behind to four. The stadium. Danny Mack, I do believe, is on with him from four to six. Kerry, he was fighting it yesterday. He fought the good fight. He can't do it again today. So you got two on the fast lane coming up. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. Hopefully talking about a blues winner here on BK and Ferrario. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.